streets of empty canvas, untouched sheets of gray, were laid spread out before me as her body once did. Revolved around her soul, still to the sun. Now the air I tasted and breathed has taken a turn. Oh, and all I taught her was everything. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do
Warning, this podcast features adult subject matter, adult language, and things not meant for children to hear. Viewer discretion is advised. You've been warned. We might just be... Holy shit, boys and girls, we are. We are live, live on the I'm No Joe channel. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest episode of the I'm No Joe podcast, the show where every armchair quarterback can feel like an Eddie Bravo. Today, like most days, I've got a crazy crew here to talk some shit with me about the interesting events going on in the world of all things combat sports right now. So before we get too far into it here, I want to take just a moment and go around the room and thank these fine folks for showing up today. So First and foremost, the man who makes the show fresher than it could ever be on its own, Mr. Fresh 3 How the fuck are you doing, sir? I thought this was another mixing show. Oh, shit. Wait, wait this isn't? Well, but I suppose I can talk some punchy kicky. <laughs> we really should be DIY. I mean, we, we are going to mix it up a little bit here. Okay, okay. <laughs> Mixing it up. Mixing it up. Got it. Absolutely. And then across the octagon, as it were, the man with the plan, my Wednesday night brother from another mother, the one and only Golf T Vapes himself. How the fuck are you doing, sir? Fantastic. Ready to go. Um, share some very heavily dislikes that I have this week. Uh, <laughs> possibly cuss out some dumb motherfuckers that don't oh. get a chance to rebut because I don't give a fuck about them. Good. A fuck There's a lot to dislike. There is, there is, and we are absolutely going to get into that, but before we dive into the top here, I do want to take just a moment real quick, um, I want to thank all of the folks who have been listening to the audio version of the I'm No Joe podcast, available over on anchor.fm slash I'm No Joe um, we hit 100 plays on the channel on the Anchor side of things, on the pure audio side of things this week. And then, about three and a half hours after that, we hit 100 subscribers on the I'm No Joe YouTube channel, which means we now have our customized URL. We are now officially at youtube.com slash C slash I'm No Joe. So we have now hit enough benchmarks across enough platforms to where we literally have everything i'm no joe instagram is i'm no joe youtube's i'm no joe patreon's i'm no joe uh mixer is i'm no joe facebook is i'm no joe we've got everything secured the fandom is fucking amazing and i wanted to just take a quick second to thank everybody who has helped us get there whether you are listening to this in the audio version you are here with us in the chat library you are watching a replay thank you to everyone who helped us get here and uh just wait till you see some of the crazy shit we have got in the pipeline right now Fucking right. Well done, y'all. Well done. Thank you, guys. So, that out of the way, we will dive in, as it were, like we do around here, to the news and recent events, the announcements and goings-on that have happened since the last time we saw and spoke to you wonderful folks. Um, we have got an interesting smattering, I think would be the best description, of things that have been announced since the last time we brought you fine folks some news. So I'm going to kick it off right at the top with two of them that we said when they were even rumored that it, it was, of course, a possibility because UFC being the UFC. Uh, but 
I am a firm believer that neither one of them should happen right now, and we actually found out, lo and behold, they're both happening. And that, I of course, mean, first and foremost, Israel Adesanya defending his new belt against Yoel, Soldier of God, Romero. It's been officially set for UFC 248. Um, and then following that news, we immediately, once that was a rumor, it was immediate after the, the fight somehow, that the next one following in that footsteps of giving someone a title shot off a loss, um, they announced it March 14th, the Brasilia card, we will see Jose Aldo at 135 fighting Henry Cejudo for the bantamweight belt. Oof. So we now officially have two belts on the line with challengers who are coming off of losses. One of them, literally his first fight in the weight class, and it was a loss, controversial or not, is getting a shot at a belt. The other gentleman, literally three losses in a row against title contenders, and then a fourth loss after that, and now he's getting a title shot off of that record. So, I mean, on one hand, uh, the Adesanya versus Yoel Romero, I kind of understand and I use the word kind of very loosely um, only and I emphasize only for the fact that Israel Adesanya came out said as soon as he had the belt regardless of any other situation the first person he wanted to fight was Yoel Romero because he is the one that everyone in that division is scared to fight and doesn't want to fight so he wants that guy first he's taking that prison yard approach he's walking in and he's going for the biggest fucking guy on the yard to make his statement and i kind of understand that but at the same time let yoel go get a fucking win so at least there's the illusion of it being earned four losses in a row three of them being title losses in a row is not a good fucking look well there's a kicker side to that though the champ said what he wants to do I can't blame them for doing what the champ wants to do because you know what? Really great feeling is he's going to be there for quite a while. Let him call a couple moves and let people fall in the line afterwards. Guess what? He said it for, before he even won the title. He was fighting Pipers. That's not like yep. it's big new news. Yeah. He just put it in the boss's ear before it happened. When it happened, it was already there. And the boss is like, all right, dude, you did it with style. You did it with grace. You did it with class. And you fucking earned it with a knockout. You call whatever your next fight is. More power to him. Right. Uh, whether that's a smart decision or not, because we've seen the kind of wars Joel Romero gets into. I don't know, but yeah. you know, it, it, it'll be fun to watch regardless. Although I am with you on the Joel should have at least had one win before they allowed the fight happen. But at least you know, make it look good. I mean, on the, on the other side of this, this is the UFC playing to champions. They've done that a lot lately. That's right. all I'm saying. And it's been Very across true. the board. Thus the reason you have the current John Jones fight that's coming up here. But that's something we'll talk about on another day. That's one that the champ called for, so that's what the champ gets. That's very true. That's going to be next week's gripe. I'm I'm already calling it right now because I'm going to say it. <laughs> I, I, that's why I was getting it out there now, just so that way it's fresh now. I'm going to let it rot for a week, and then we'll talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, at least it's going to be, at least it'll be an entertaining fight. Yeah, no, both, then that's the, that's the, the kicker part of it here is that both of those fights are going to be entertaining regardless. Yeah. 
both of those matchups are going to be entertaining. It's just that Dana has fallen into this fucking trap of not being able to tell the difference between what the fans want and what the business needs. And that's a dangerous line to walk. And when you teeter too far to one side or the other, it generally, that pendulum swings back hard. And yeah, he's really likes throwing at least two title matches on everything at this yeah. point. Yeah. So, I mean, you're going to, you're going to wind up with some fights where you're like, uh, are you sure that's the fight that should be going on? Like there's probably some other dudes that are more deserving of that spot, but you know how, you know, the rankings only take you so far. The rankings only take you so far, and you do kind of have to listen to the champ, especially you know, people can go elsewhere. You can make a living doing other things. No, you this don't. Not this I think the other thing that this is turning to, when you look at these types of matchups, it's starting to turn into boxing, which I'm not a fan of. Because uh, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with boxing as a sport. I want to make that very clear. Right. But the way that they set up matches, it's. UFC starting to turn to that, and I don't know if it's because they went to the whole "we're going to do this duple boxing thing" now, so we maybe we should change. No, just go with what you know, go with what works. Right. Stop doing these. Um, let the champ choose. No, the champ never got to choose before. The only time that that's happened with champs choosing is fucking. I will say the most recent one where it was something that yeah you knew it was going to happen. Was Connor started all this shit? When he would call, what he wanted, and he would get it. He's even getting it now at this point. Although he did kind of a hands-off approach after this last fight, which cool by him, but now everybody thinks they can call whatever the fuck they want, which is some bullshit. Inmates are the asylum, right? Yeah, let the rankings speak for themselves. Let the guy with the fucking five-fight win streak go in there and fight for the fucking title. You know, right. that's all I'm saying. Well, and then the problem that comes in there is that they forget how to properly reset win streaks because technically speaking, Tony Ferguson is coming into this title fight in April, and I use that term with air quotes for those listening, uh, comes into this fight in April against Khabib on a technical 12-fight win streak, even though those fights are two of them happened in the last year, and then there was a two-year layoff. Shit like that needs to be factored in, I feel, because I, I agree. Technically, he's on a 12-fight win streak. Realistically, he's on a two-fight win streak with a fucking two-year layoff and some serious issues that were handled in that two-year layoff. Yeah. So the problem is, is that the, the rankings makers don't factor things like that in. That's That's one of my biggest gripes. I was actually talking with somebody about that the other day, about how the rankings are almost becoming laughable at this point in their lack of validity in compared to the actual standings of the fighters because mm -hmm. they're solely being created by journalists now. Okay, it's nobody actually who has a fucking hand in the fight world. These guys have probably never even taken a goddamn kickboxing class, yeah. let alone jujitsu class. That's actually one of the comments that the person I was talking to said. These assholes have probably never even had a punch thrown at them in real life. Probably and they're... Only punch they ever caught was because they said something stupid to some jock who laid and cleaned them out and now they're writing stories about said jock yep journalists exactly. creating false narratives saying so i know it's almost it's almost as if even the combat sports world isn't immune to fake news 
Oh, fucking kids these days. Uh, but from there, we will roll on to some of the more interesting fights and things that have been announced in the last couple of days here. Um, first and foremost, before we get into some interesting, really interesting news, um, I do want to take a moment to let those who did not see it know, uh, Chuck Liddell actually got his Hall of Fame jacket during the weigh-ins for uh, UFC 246 last week. Ironically enough, the one time during the weekend, Conor McGregor was actually not early or on time to something. Uh, so to buy time while they waited the like 15 minutes or whatever it was that he was stuck in traffic, they went ahead and gave Chuck the Iceman Lydell his fucking Hall of Fame jacket, and he looked like a little kid opening his Christmas present to be exactly the thing that he asked Santa for. The shit-eating grin on his face could not have been painted off at that point. It was really a fucking awesome sight to behold. Um, that's that's one of the... And it's, I, I will completely admit that it is a double-edged sword, but this is one of those times that the double-edged sword that is ESPN will actually, I feel, work in the favor of the MMA fans because thousands and thousands, literally of people who will never ordinarily have seen or heard about Chuck getting his jacket are now going to get to see that little 10-second clip every time SportsCenter rolls through talking about the weigh-ins for 246 because 246 was everywhere on ESPN for the last couple weeks. So the weigh-ins equally got a smattering of fucking coverage everywhere. So that little clip as well gets stuck into that loop that they roll through those sports center cool shit that happened at an event moments. So that is one of the the times where the good side of that double-edged sword of ESPN, I feel, is actually working in the favor of UFC fans. Now, from there, <laughs> we've got some... Uh, Interesting is the word that I'm going to use for these matchups that were just announced over the last couple of days here. Um, the first one, Derek Brunson is going to be fighting Edmund Shabazian at UFC 248 on March 7th. Um, to be honest with you, I did not realize that those two gentlemen were in the same weight class. I could have sworn that Shabazian was a 55-pounder, but apparently he is up there with the bigger boys, and I uh, honestly did not realize that until I saw this fight announcement and then went, oh no. Because not that Derek Brunson has been the utmost threatening of fighters lately, but he's also not one that can ever be taken lightly, and... Edmund Shabazian, for the flashes we've seen of greatness in him, we also know that his management team and coaching staff is immediate suspect. Immediate fucking suspect as soon as you see the names on that roster. So that has a whole multitude of chin-scratching possibilities coming out from that fucking fight. The other one that I think is going to be equally as interesting, but for the opposite reason almost, um, the debut, the UFC debut of Damir Hadzan at 155 pounds will be met by the debut at 155 pounds of one Hanato Moicano 
officially making the move from featherweight up to lightweight. Um, so those of you who are not familiar with that name, take a moment after the show and go look at that gentleman's highlight reel because he has been a staple of ass whipping in the featherweight division for a hot solid minute here and has had a couple of ups and downs but never been just mauled. There's always, for the most part, in an Hanato Moicano loss has been because of some crazy strike or crazy off-the-wall thing that happened. But his victories, on the other hand, that man is technical and calculated and making the move up to 55, theoretically, based on what we've seen in some of these other gentlemen moving up, means that that power should be there to go with him. So now the test comes in to see how will the gas tank be affected like most of these other guys starting to move up. The gas tank is going to be the question. Can he hang at 55 like he could at 45? And is that power going to go with him? Because if those two questions come to the right answer, uh, 55 is going to have a serious contender coming quickly up that fucking rankings list. Uh, next one that got announced after that. It's interesting. And it's it's one of those fights that we kind of jokingly suggested uh, a couple of shows back, um, half-ass, genuinely half-ass, just because it would make an interesting, ooh, look what happened situation. Well, ooh, look what happened. We fucking got our wish. Uh, the March 21st London card will now be headlined by hometown boy Leon I-8 to three-piece Edwards against Tyron Tyquil Woodley. So... I mean, if you're trying to sort out the top of that division behind Marty and, and Street Jesus, that's a good way to start shaking the top of that fucking list up. Um, I kind of feel like the UFC's really throwing Edwards a bone here because none of his wins recently have been any kind of like legitimately impressive or big standout, like, I'm a title contender kind of wins versus Woodley's only real loss was to the current champion, so, like. I think they're doing that just because he's the hometown boy and they needed um, somebody to fill a slot, and they know who pulls a lot of names. Tyron Woodley does. He does. Yeah. Albeit some of us not the biggest fan. Right, that's what uh, I said. He dude. does pull names, and guess what? He'll put asses in the seats because I'm going to watch him. Right. I oh, might yeah. not like the way he is personally, but he does have an interesting fight every fucking time and even on days when he decides he doesn't want to show up and just wants to try to play counter punch and when it doesn't work i still want to watch him fight right well and that's the thing is that technically speaking even though the uh marty versus the magamoron fight happened tyron's still top five like even if you bump him down behind those two and jorge who's on a fucking tear and aimed straight at fucking gold now uh, you still can't knock Tyquil down further than five at worst. And I don't like the motherfucker, and I am saying firmly, you can't knock him down further than five. So I, I can't even say you can't even knock the dude farther down than three at this point. Yeah. He lost to the champ. That's it. That's kind of the at way worst. I see it. He should be number three. And that's at worst. That's at possible worst, in my opinion. To be honest, yeah. he should probably sit number two right now. I agree. I agree. But I think if Leon, because that's the thing that folks might not realize, is that behind the scenes, 
because he hasn't been involved in any events to be in front of the scenes. Uh, Leon Edwards, for the last couple of months, has just been the yappy chihuahua-inest motherfucker there can be, trying to talk his way into a title shot, trying to talk his status and stock up more than it is currently valued. And I feel like this is their way to give him a put-up-or-shut-up moment. Like, if you think your stock is really so fucking high, you're really a guy in line for the title legitimately, here's your fucking test. Like, this guy has only lost to the champ. You get past him, we'll consider your fucking name. If you don't, you go back to the end of the line and you shut the fuck up already. I wish they would just feed him to fucking Jorge Masvidal so we can actually see the real See the full three-piece? Just a little cut-off yeah. piece of camera work. I will wholeheartedly agree you know, with that. If someone, if someone just hangs around picking up wins, I mean, eventually you got to throw him a bone. Here you go. I mean, that's. I yeah. Feel like I'm just feel like I'm just repeating what you two have to say, but <laughs> you know, if it, you know, no matter what the quality of the win is, you know, if someone just keeps winning, eventually, eventually you got to be like, all right, well, this this dude fought the champ. He lost, but let's. You know he's still probably the best guy, the best guy around. Right. Let's let's see what you can do, and I don't know where this is gonna go. <laughs> it's gonna be interesting to see how it plays. Oh, that and we haven't seen Woodley do anything since he lost Usman. That's been over a year now. Well, he had surgery. Well, yeah, he had surgery, but he had surgery and then did proper rehab apparently. Uh, that could go a long way. And granted, you know, after coming off of losing your belt, that's a good time to do it because that way you can get right back in there and be at full strength. I can't blame the guy for right. that. Still, you haven't heard a lot out of him. You haven't heard a lot of right. people covering him since that happened. Right. So not even post-surgery or anything. Right. There hasn't been a lot of news out of his corner, which I understand. You want to keep some of that stuff on the low low so you don't fucking talk about it because you don't want other people in the division knowing exactly what's going right. on. Well, that yeah. and I'm not when you're ranked that high. That and I'm pretty sure he was helping his boyfriend train for the ass whoopings that he took that walked his way out of the fucking UFC as well. Yeah. Didn't work out so well. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, clearly. <laughs> oh, but moving on from there, I've got a couple more interesting little tidbits to run down here real quick. Um, the the interesting one that I want to go with first here, um, after the loss to Corey Anderson, which was a fucking definitive loss to Corey Anderson, uh, Johnny Walker has come out and publicly blamed his coach and his corner for the loss, for steering him the wrong direction, giving him bad advice during the fight, and quote-unquote not being, or not having his back, rather. So he has cut, he, the yeah, words, he has cut his entire corner loose, literally. He chopped his entire team off which, generally speaking, is a pretty dumb move. With the exception of a situation like this, where he cut his entire team off and has completely uprooted his camp to TriStar to train under Farah Hobby. Johnny Walker is already a black belt in jiu-jitsu, so he literally needs the rest of the rounding, and that's a pretty good fucking spot to stop and get that fucking edge rounded down the way it needs to be. It's still outing them publicly like that was pretty fucking shit. Yeah, I'm I, not, I'm I not gonna lie. Look, you can just say, "Look, we're gonna split paths, call it a day." Dude, 
you fought like shit in your last fight. Don't blame your fucking corner. Look, if you put in the time, you put in the effort in the gym, it's going to show in there. It doesn't matter who your fucking corner men are. Look, yes, certain teams are going to train you better in certain aspects, but you have to rely on your abilities that you have at the time. Yep. And when you come out there and look like a fucking grade schooler fighting a high schooler, that's nobody's fault but your own goddamn self. Yeah. Same reason why Tyrone Woodley lost fucking Marty from Nebraska. Yep. Because he came out and looked like a grade schooler fighting a high schooler. Wasn't listening to his, yeah, wasn't listening to his fucking corner. Didn't matter what they were saying to him. Yep. I have a feeling it was a real similar situation with this Johnny Walker fucking stir up here. I feel like he's got a corner that's been with him for a hot minute. We've seen him do some great work with that corner. And then all of a sudden, his biggest loss, the one that he was trying to, like, springboard himself with, which he absolutely earned, came out there, looked like a damn rookie. And now he's trying to put that all on his corner. And That, I think, was a bad move. That was a huge problem, because... I had a lot of respect for Johnny Walker going into that. Yep. Like he was earning good victories and looking fantastic doing it. Yep. Like he had a legitimate, he had a legitimate hype train in my opinion. Where it looked great, and then he came out and I went, "You literally got outclassed." And he's not that bad of a fighter to get that outclassed as he did. No, it it was way one sided for sure. So there, to be honest what that was that was you had a bad fucking night every fighter goes through it and yeah. fuck ask cowboy ask cowboy sometimes <laughs> you just have a bad fucking night <laughs> yeah you don't always fucking make it a minute into the fight sometimes look it happens but you can't go and blame your whole fucking corner and your coaches and everything else because you had a bad fucking night right Especially not when all the fights leading up to that, you were doing fucking fantastic. Yeah, looked looked fucking like a charm all the way up Somebody until needs that to go point. Like yeah. this, get a mirror in front of themselves and look at themselves and blame themselves for that shit, not anybody else. Look, the fight game is a team business in the gym. Once you get into that cage, the only person you can blame is your fucking self. Did you train hard enough? Did you listen to what your coaches said during training? Not during the fight, not between rounds. Were you doing all the necessary steps you need to be at 100% peak fitness and peak everything? If you did not and you lost your fight, that's your own fucking fault. Or you went out there and you had a bad night. Still your own fault because you had a bad night. They happen. Look, it's no different than being a fucking baseball or a football player. Every one of those guys has a bad fucking day. They have a bad game. That shit happens. Don't see them blaming the whole fucking team. No. They realize, hey, that shit's on me. Suck it up, buttercup. You'll be okay. And the other thing about throwing throwing corner guys into the, you know, under the bus in, in the MMA game is, one, it alienates other people that might work with you. Yeah. Um, two, I mean... I mean, I wish we could get price. I, I, I wish we could get price quotes, quotes for individual fighters. Like, hey, I want to come work with you. How much? How much is this going to cost me? Right. I, I, I guarantee. I guarantee it's way more, way more after you after you throw everybody under the bus. Like you've got you've got you, you can't alienate the people behind the scenes. Like it's not, it's not a cool way to go about it. If you want to switch up your camp, that's you know you do it with class. Like, hey, you know, I needed to move in a new direction. I wasn't I wasn't evolving as a fighter. Take it on yourself. Yeah, take it for yourself. 
you know, say, hey, I'm the one who wasn't evolving as a fighter and I need to evolve to, to take that next step. You know, it gets you some more respect out of the, you know, out of the community, but, you know, blaming everybody for a loss that you took, like, like you guys are saying, it's only on you. You're the you're the only person that's to blame if you take it if you take a loss. Yeah, you're the only common denominator. <laughs> and that that's a good point. I didn't even think of it like that. That tells me Bras Hobby is taking a big fucking risk. A big risk. Yeah, well look, he picked up Kevin Lee and now he's gonna pick up Johnny Walker, both of them coming in problem child. Yeah, and now if he's fixing problem child, guess what? There's a lot of fighters that are gonna wanna go to him. Yeah, but on the other right. side of that it can blow up in your face. It could blow up in his face. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's still got a resume a fucking mile long. I mean, GSP yeah. right there. That's yeah. all you need. Your poster boy, yeah. Fucking poster boy for that place. He did fantastic things out there. So, I mean, even if those two blow up in your face, I mean, yeah, Kevin Lee won his first fight out of the camp. Good on him. But we'll talk about that shit later. The Bill Belichick of MMA. Right. Like, does he get the problem children under control and... <laughs> Get them to go, get, get arrested them, and hang themselves. Get, get them to go out and do your fucking job, which is the Patriot slogan for anybody that right. didn't know. Go out, do your fucking job. Yeah. Yep. People don't. People don't. I'm. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Let's see. I wish. I wish they would make those fighters when they pick a camp sign like a non-disclosure type agreement where. Right. You have no way to say a fucking word about us when we're done. It would be it would be nice if it'd be nice if the MMA game worked like that, but I mean, right? MMA like it's it's full of finger pointers. So. Oh yeah, I mean it's my fault. It's a One subcontracted business for Christ's sakes, because yeah. technically each fighter is their own independent entity. contractors. That's right. Independent yep. contractors, WWE style, motherfuckers. That's right. So what happens when you let Vince McMahon and Dana White be good friends? Yeah. Fuck. No fucking health care for you. It's out of your own pocket, fuckers. Right, unless it happens on the event. <laughs> no, and even then, still, on right. you. Right, yeah. Because we'll pay for your emergency room visit, but you got to pay for all the shit afterwards. Right. Oh, actually, before I get to the last one here, while I'm thinking about it, uh, Mixer has been having issues lately, so until further notice, the recap shows on Sundays, the What Did I Say show, will now be moving over to YouTube, because YouTube is not giving me any shit so I am officially going to move those over to YouTube, but they are staying on Sunday afternoons, or Sunday evenings, rather, here on YouTube until further notice. Um, because last weekend's uh, What Did I Say show came out just all kinds of garbled on the mixer side of things. I wasn't even actually able to recover a hard copy of it to fix and try and re-upload to YouTube. So I'm actually going to just go back over last weekend's UFC 246 recap. This weekend with the recap for tonight's things uh that will be sunday uh 9 30 p.m central time ish um but the last news and event thing i have got here that i want to go over before we dive into some of the cards we're going to talk about for this weekend uh this is another interesting one that we actually called that has come to fruition but this one i am actually excited about um, we got news day before yesterday. It was official. The ink has dried. Tiago Alves has signed with BKFC Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship. Uh, they are expecting to have a match made for him within the month. They are hoping to have him on a card before summer. So 
with the Hector Lombard fight now up in the air because Joe Riggs just got hurt and pulled out. Um, they've talked about potential uh, replacements there, but, you know, now we're starting to see a, a pretty legitimate flood of former UFC fighters making their way over to BKFC instead of taking the Bellator or the 1FC route whenever their contract comes up. I'm kind of liking it. BKFC is really, really getting competitive in who they snatch up once they get released. And I like what they're doing because they're pulling fighters that are known for fucking fists. Throwing they're the not, fuck down. They're not pulling just random fucking fighters yeah. that are on their tail ends. No, these guys are still known for being able to throw bombs. Yep. Yeah, put them in there. It's going to be fucking fantastic because Alvarez was always, he was always a power puncher. Fuck always. yes, he was. That was always a strong suit. Was that fucking yeah. leaning hook Hector, that he would throw? Same thing with Hector Lombard, which is why I'm excited to yep. see whatever happens with him now, who they're going to put him up against. Because either way, there's going to be fireworks with these guys going over there. Because I mean, look what even look what Chris Lieben's done over there. So <coughs> Fuck yeah! Fucking fireworks! It's amazing. They're they're going to be huge. They're going to be really fucking huge. And then pretty soon you're going to see that upbringing where people decide am i going to go do bare knuckle boxing or am i going to do mma yep. especially in that younger generation which one do i really want to do and you might even get to that spot where you see some of these guys trying to fight both promotions which to be honest that'd be fucking fantastic to see i'm okay with that yeah for sure so, look i'm not gonna lie i would love to see yoel romero go over to bare knuckle that dude fucking just hits like a goddamn yeah. tank. Well, and and the the opposition to him, if you will, think about what Robert Whitaker could do over there if he only had to worry about his hands, since it's always his legs getting hurt. If he didn't have to worry about the takedowns, he didn't have to worry about checking kicks. All he's got to worry about is being Bobby fucking Knuckles, his literal nickname. Yeah, that so guy's got a fucking leaping punch, dude. There's a bunch of fucking fighters in the UFC that are like that. That I'm going, look, you're good in the UFC. Yeah. But switching over, you'd wreck division over there. Hell fucking yes. completely wreck them. Like, don't get me wrong. The GOAT, fucking love him in BKFC. Wasn't great in the UFC, but he had the punches going on. I mean, look at the two wars that he's had over there. Yeah, so dude. I mean, there's there's a lot of potential in a lot of these guys that are coming up on the end of their contracts in the UFC for moving over there. And BKFC, they're just they're gonna starting that exponential power curve upward. It's yep. fucking fantastic to see. Well, and I was talking about this uh, two weeks ago with somebody. Um, BKFC is reaching that neat little pinnacle point that we were actually talking about uh, towards the end of last year with Bellator, where they've been around enough, they've established themselves enough as an organization that they're starting to draw their own independent talent as well as pulling up these great little unanimous picks here and there from other organizations as fighters get released. They're legitimately starting to draw in their own talent, young fighters who just come up, like we were talking about, and only want to do BKFC. They know that MMA is an option. They know that kickboxing is an option, but they want the bare knuckle and you're getting some guys who are coming up and they're hybridizing their training specifically for the bare knuckle because it's itself its own little unique rule set so it's something if that's what you're going for you have to train just for that it's not strictly a boxing rule set but it's not too different from an mma style rule set as far as the striking goes so 
we're getting to a point now where the talent is starting to get legitimately entertaining and it's starting to build itself a good base. I like it that. It really is. And to know that they're getting those individuals that have never done MMA now. Yeah. And they're strictly focusing on one thing. That's going to make for some really dangerous individuals. Don't get me wrong. I'm still pulling guys from MMA that are known to be fucking strikers, boxers, or um, fucking backyard brawlers. That's always a good look. Like, dude, I'm not gonna lie. I wish Kimbo Slice was still around because I would love to see him in the BKC because he was doing that shit in the backyard that, yeah. long before that shit was around. Oh, he would have dominated that and never been even a thing for Bellator. He would have been the face of BKFC. I have oh, no yeah. doubt about it. You'd have never seen him touch foot in fucking UFC. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have seen Strike Force mm-hmm. or whatever that other now defunct fucking. Right fighting fucking thing was i forget because it was fucking garbage but (laughs) either way they that there's there's a whole lot of potential there and bkfc is going to do nothing but go up from here because i mean you know what to be honest they're a legitimate version of fucking schoolyard backyard brawling yeah they really are they're they're a legitimate world star hip-hop basically yeah basically Oh, with a rule set. Right, I was gonna say with a a, a referee and a rule set. <laughs> Air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, good times! I'm definitely excited to see how that goes. But with that brought through, that will bring us into the meat and potatoes, as it were, of this particular episode. The reason we are here, gathered this fine evening for our 49th episode of the I'm No Joe podcast here. Season 2, episode 2, goddammit. This is a combination episode. This is a two-for-one platter, if you will. This is a bonus play weekend. Buy one card, get one card free. Don't actually purchase because they're both not purchase cards, but you know what I mean. Don't buy these (laughs) cards. So this weekend, we have got a duo of MMA cards that are definitely worth your eyeballs. Uh, The first one we are going to talk about here is the Bellator 238 card. Um, There are actually a couple of interesting cards, or excuse me, a couple of interesting fights on the prelim card, and then a couple of fights on the main card that I want to talk about here real quick. Um, The first one, a young prospect that has been talked about by folks on all sides of the combat world is now coming in to try and make a statement in the Bellator ring. Curtis Millender. This is a young man that big John McCarthy started putting folks onto about three years ago, four years ago, because this kid is just unfucking ending with his energy and his grappling is something to fucking behold. Um, he is coming in against Moses Marietta and it looks like it's going to be a damn good matchup, but I I just can't help but put my chips on Millender here. Is high praise as some of the greats who have been watching this kid for years are singing and the, the footage that you can find on this gentleman just it, it gives you hope for the next generation. It really does. Uh, not to take anything away from Marietta, but I feel like they are setting this up to be a Curtis Millender showcase if you were here, and I'm, I'm pretty excited to see how it's going to shake loose. Good God, yes. I've heard nothing but fantastic fucking things about Curtis Millender. Yeah. I've been hearing about him long before he's even hit the MMA scene, which... Yep. If that doesn't tell you something when you're hearing about a guy before he's even 
had a fight in a big promotion, you've got fireworks to look forward to. You can go out there. He does have some fucking highlight reels out there on the fucking yeah. interwebs. Go look at them. Yeah, he's young into his career. I think he's only... Um, technically, he's got quite a few pro fights, but they're not in a major organization. Right. But go out there and look. There are plenty <coughs> of fucking fights out there where he's done some fantastic work. And to be honest, he's he's in the right area now. He's he's going to make a big big shot straight towards the top. Unfortunately, Marietta's going to be on the receiving end of a bad fucking day here in my opinion. <clears throat> Excuse me. <coughs> oh shit. Excuse me. Oh. But moving on from that one, the other interesting fight I see on the prelims for two thirty-eight over on the Bellator side of things, um, it's kind of a a, a melancholy, excuse me, melancholy story. A little bit uh, melodramatic, if you will. Um, it's nice to see he's still around. It's sad to see where he's been relegated to, but I still want to see how it turns out. Uh, I'm talking about the Daniel Carey fight versus Aaron Pico. Now, for the uninitiated, Aaron Pico was a young boxing fucking phenom. Literal phenom. This is a kid that came up with just golden fucking hands, got into the MMA world, and just could not quite flip that switch from boxing to MMA. Uh, what I mean by that is that in the boxing world, when you've got someone hurt, you jump on them every time. There is no uh, you know, walk-off knockouts for the most part in boxing. When you've got a guy hurt, you capitalize, you get the knockdown, you get the referee involved. MMA is kind of the polar opposite. You almost, for, for some folks, strive for that knockout shot where you hit them so fucking hard you don't even have to flinch when you stop the strike because they're going down on their own. And Pico couldn't quite grasp the difference in some of his fights where he has absolutely had his opponent hurt but takes that boxing mentality and rushes in too soon. And if you've seen combat sports any amount of times, you should know it's much like nature documentaries. The most dangerous animal on the planet is an injured one. MMA is no different whatsoever. When you've got a guy hurt, that's the most dangerous you will ever see that man because he has no idea what's coming or where it's coming from because it's not him up there running the show anymore. And Aaron Pico has literally walked himself into a lion's den with his ass hanging loose too many fucking times, and he's gotten caught every fucking one of them. So on one hand, it's, it's kind of sad to see that he's basically been relegated back to prelim fights against relative upstarts on the other hand he earned his way there and i feel like if he is going to turn this into a legitimate career which i feel he still has the possibility of doing he has to be able to come back from a situation like this and he has to show that he's learning and that he's adapting and that his game is coming above his own short or his own his bleh, words his game is moving past his own shortcomings the problem is, is if you follow his social media, it really doesn't fucking feel like it. He feels like one of these guys that came in set in his ways, thinking that his particular skill set and everything that he does, the way he does it, is going to get him right to the top. And even though he encountered a little bit of a rocky start, he was convinced that nothing needs to change. That he's just got to stay the course. And you can't do that in MMA. 
And I think this is going to be the time where we see that even against a relative upstart in Danny, excuse me, Daniel Carey, I just don't think that Aaron Pico can switch gears and shift into the next lane and try a different style. And I think we're going to see him get clipped here. And I think this might be one of the last times we see Aaron Pico in the octagon unless he proves me wrong and shows everybody that he's completely different than what we're used to. You know, he had a huge fucking hype train behind him, and I was on it at the beginning because he same. was looking fucking Absolute fantastic. same, but yeah. He derailed himself so bad in his last couple of fights that, to be honest, I, I, I'm going to make this argument here. I don't think he wins this weekend because he hasn't fixed his mentality. However, I will make this argument. I think he would make a great addition to BKFC because of his fighting style. Uh, yeah, I can absolutely agree with that. The The style of striking that he possesses would absolutely be perfect for something like BKFC because he's got a very uh, hybridish style. It's not quite full boxing, but it isn't really MMA, air quote, style striking full on either. That would probably really be a good move for him. And, cool. you know, if it goes the way we think it's going to this weekend, I honestly kind of hope that's where he gravitates. Well, and... I want to give him the benefit of the doubt because I know he's got the skill set to be better, but what I've seen out of his last fucking three fights, he hasn't changed at all. He hasn't progressed. He obviously hasn't learned from his fucking prior mistakes because he's doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result, which turns the definition of fucking insanity. Um, But that doesn't get you anywhere. You have to be a little crazy to fight, but not completely insane. Good There's point. some people that are completely insane to fight. <laughs> yeah, and they end up like Aaron Pico. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, if, you, if, you're, if, you're, if your style isn't working in MMA, you have to evolve. You have to. But, you know, at least he landed somewhere. Kind of hard it, and the worst part of it is he's of that younger generation. Yeah. Of mm-hmm. MMA fighters where he should have already evolved at this point. Yeah. He's... um. He's that one Pokemon you just can't get to evolve. That's what he is. There you go. <laughs> yeah, put it in a, very put, true. Put in a fresh O3 metaphor that he'll understand, right? <laughs> there, there you go. go. We'll got to make you. it easy. We'll get you. <laughs> oh, I'm also man. doing that for the other younger generations that are starting to listen to us here. That's right. That are on that whole uh, Pokemon kick, or even the older generation from the old school Pokemon. At least they'll understand. That's right. Oh, but... From there, that will bring us into the main card for Bellator 238. Um, there's a couple of interesting, interesting fights here. Uh, now, like I try and emphasize, much as I love Bellator, they are not immune to the same thing that the UFC suffers from more often than not, and that is fluffy shitinitis. And we have got a, a slight but not extreme case over here on the Bellator side. Um, partially because uh, a good portion of their fighters are relatively unknown to the general population, uh, partially because they love hiring soup cans. But, you know, 20 bucks is 20 bucks. I get it. Um, <laughs> but the first fight that I want to talk about here is what I feel is going to be one of uh, probably the least advertised, but this is going to be, for me, the dark horse fight on this card here. That is Darian Caldwell versus Adam Borix. This is two dudes who both 
have great striking, they have great wrestling and grappling, and they have great fight IQ, and they are both fast as shit. Either one of them can come at you like a spider monkey, all jacked up on Mountain Dew, and there ain't shit you can do about it. I mean, Walker, Texas Ranger got nothing on these two boys, but the fact that these two have now squared off is going to be just an interesting little complex puzzle to watch itself try and figure out. Um, I feel like in this situation here, Darian Caldwell is going to rely so much on his grappling, whereas Borix is more likely to rely on his striking because he's got one hell of a full-body reach hook. When he leans into it, he can cover half the fucking octagon with that lean when he goes across. Uh, whereas Caldwell is going to want to try and take you down and wear you out. I just feel like in this situation... As much as I like Gary and Caldwell, I think Adam Borix is just a little too big. And I think being the wrestler that he is, Caldwell is just going to be a little too predictable trying to come in for those shots. And I feel like Borix is going to catch him. I think Borix is going to take this one. I think you're spot on with that because with that big looping hand that he throws and how much he leans and jumps into that, that's easy for a fucking level change for a wrestler because you can see it coming from a mile yep. away. Look, don't me wrong. He's a featherweight and he does that quick as shit. But you're fighting another fucking featherweight. That's also quick as shit. But their reaction times and the featherweight, always a lot faster than if you're a fucking heavyweight. The heavyweight might not be able to get out of the way in time. Featherweights, no. They're going to see it quicker reaction time. It, it's going to end up on the fucking ground. Although, don't get me wrong, Darian has a very good chance if he connects with that, that it, that ends the fight. It, he does have the one-punch knockout ability in that featherweight category there. Now, don't get me wrong, we're tough on some I mean, guys he that are... He can catch him fools with it. So, yeah. I mean, it's a... For them, as much as I hate to say this, they're still both right now, they're middle-of-the-road fighters to both of them because they're not both they're not polished yet. They're still pretty rough around the edges, but it'll still make for an interesting fight either way. And I mean, Dan, he's the only thing that he's really got a leg up on this is he has a chance to give um, Adam his first fucking loss. This is true. And you know, that's a big motivating factor for a lot of fighters. Fuck yeah. Give somebody their first loss, sometimes it's a scary opportunity, but you know, when you're riding a fucking bill win streak and you haven't lost yet, that's also a fucking huge boost to your fucking confidence when you're going in. So it'd be a good, uh, it's going to be an interesting fight. It's going to go one of two ways. Either Darian's going to connect or Adam's going to change levels on him during that big fucking looping hook and put him on his ass and ride him out. Come on. Yeah, I mean... Could be a hump fest, I suppose. I don't yeah. want it to. I want to. I want. I, I want the. I want both of them swinging for the fences at each other, especially at 145. Like those Fuck are yeah. terrifically fun. Terrifically fun fights, but um, yeah. I think the hardest part yeah, of I mean, that though is to move somebody out of something that they're so good at and has been working for them. Right. I don't think that we're going to see something different out of Adam at all. That's what's worked. That's what's got him at this point with kept yeah. him undefeated. So. Yep. 
Yeah, I mean, if Cal, I mean, if Cal, if it gets on the ground, I think Caldwell, Caldwell's obviously got the. That's where his shots are going to be. Yeah. Um, but if he gets if he gets silly and decides to swing, I mean, it's it's Boric's territory. So. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping for I'm hoping Boric wins just based on just based on the fact that I want to see two dudes <laughs> at 145 that both are incredibly quick just laying into each other for yeah a round and a half right. A round and a half. <laughs> Yeah, if that's if that's the way it ends up unfolding, that's not going all the way. <laughs> There's no way that's going to see judges if they stand and bang. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, but that will bring us into the next one for the Bellator 238 main card that I want to talk about here. Um, another one that I'm very interested to see if they are going to end up taking it to the ground or if they are going to stand and bang. That being Henry Corrales versus Juan Archuleta. Now, this is almost a lopsided matchup in my opinion here um henry corrales is a hell of a striker i will absolutely give him that henry corrales can put one in your fucking money maker but juan archuleta is such a fucking seriously legitimate well-rounded fighter there isn't anything that he does bad it's not necessarily that he does any one thing particularly good. It's that he's so fucking well-rounded that he doesn't really have anything he does bad. He's got great striking. He's got great wrestling. He's got great grappling. His jiu-jitsu is fucking dangerous. The guy's got a gas tank. He's got great footwork, and he's fucking elusive. He's got a great fight IQ to round it all out, and that makes him a dangerous fucking fighter, in my opinion here. Um, not to look down at Henry Corrales, but he really only has his striking to rely on. And in this situation against a guy like Juan Archuleta, I don't think that's going to be enough. I think Juan Archuleta gets this one done within the second round. I don't think this one sees three either. There's no way in fucking hell that sees three. Juan Archuleta has been nothing but a fucking problem in that division. Fuck yeah. I hate to say this, but unfortunately, Corrales is in way over his fucking head on this fight. It, it, not just a little bit, but way over his head. To be honest, I'm still... I'm at this point watching Ar Archuleta in his fights in Bellator. I'm surprised he doesn't have the strap at this point. Yeah. To be quite honest, he's more than capable of winning that strap and running the table on him. Why he hasn't got there, I don't know. But there's been a couple of hiccups with him, but nothing fucking seriously bad. Every time he comes in, he dominates. There's all I can say is hopefully Henry Corrales has some good fucking medical insurance because it's gonna be a long night. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a painful night, I think. I mean, Archuleta's only lost to the well, he's lost to the champ, and who else did he lose to? Uh, I don't. I don't remember. I think it's but, just the champ recently. Yeah. Yeah, he hasn't... I, I mean, it's... This could be... I mean... <sighs> this is another... This is another one. I think... I think... I think Corrales has a better submission game, probably. Um, at least he uses it more. Right. I don't know that we... I don't know that we've seen Archuleta have to have to use his submission game so um it's a i mean it's a that's a it's a tough fight because they're 
they're not all that far off from each other. One dude has a tendency to put up more boring fights. Obviously, Correa has a tendency to put up more boring fights, but I mean, they're not all that far off from each other, honestly. I mean, Archuleta should walk in and just. I, this is another one I want to see people banging. It's one forty-five. It's one forty-five. They're both going to be, both be quick on their feet. Ar- Archuleta, I, I want to see him. I want to see him just kind of punch through somebody's face. Right. So. I, I'm, yeah. I'll, give it, I'll give it to I, I'm, 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 I'm assuming the golf tee role. I'm playing devil's advocate over here. I'm trying to find a way for Correa to win. Um, <laughs> Interesting trying to do that sometimes, ain't it? <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, it is kind of fun. I'm like, I'm like, like he's a better, he, I, he's shown that he's better at the submission game, but I mean, like I well, said, like I said, Archuleta hasn't had, he had, he hasn't had to use it because he just he just finishes fuckers. Yeah, he well, just, and that's that's the interesting thing about Archuleta too is that we haven't had to see his submission game in the cage, but he's still doing quintet ultras and submission underground matches and shit in the off season as well. So you know damn well he's got it in his pocket. We just haven't had to see him use it in yeah. the cage, which makes it that much more interesting if it does actually go to the ground. Yeah, I'm. I would be. You know what? Just, just cause I kind of want to see this one go to the ground and see, and see that, see that MMA chess start taking place. Like, who's gonna, you know, can he get to the, can he get to the side mount? Is he gonna lock? What's he gonna be looking for? What's that type of a choke? Is he gonna be looking for? Is he gonna lock in? You know, what's, uh, so, you know, playing playing the golf team role over here, um, trying to think of a way for Chris to win. I mean, theoretically, theoretically, at this point, Chris shown he's a he's a better mat technician. Theoretically. Um, yeah, I, I, but I mean, in reality, it's another, it's another, one forty-five fight where I want to see, I want to see people trying to swing for the fences. I really, that's what I really want to see out of it. Um, I think, I think at least at the start, it would be like that. And Archuleta certainly got the, certainly got the power, and he's, he's a little bit crisper, if you will. He's a yeah. little bit crisper with his strikes. He could, he could really, <laughs> really light into him, and I think that's probably what's going to happen. I think he'll probably light into him, but I, yeah, I, I, I'm having a hard time thinking of a way actually to actually lose the fight unless, unless it's, unless it's something lucky on the ground. Yeah. And just because I was curious, I went back and looked at the last loss that he had prior to his last loss against a pit bull. Mm-hmm. It was in 2015 at World Series of Fighting 19. Gaethje versus Palomino. Okay. Oh, okay. Back when Gaethje yeah. was the World Series of Fighting star, still. Yeah. Okay. So you're talking. That was five years five ago. Five years ago. So yeah. Up yeah, until his last seen. fight in September, he hadn't lost in five fucking years. Yeah, man. That's. And he's only lost. He's only lost to the champ. To champions. Yeah. That fight, he got caught in the triangle choke in the second round. So somebody got fucking lucky because yeah. triangles are not easy to pull off. Right. Doesn't matter what round it's in. Well, especially yep. in the second round when you're starting to get sweaty, makes it harder yep. to lock that fucking grip in too. Yep. So there, I mean, there you go. There you go. I mean, he's, if he gets caught, there's there's my prediction. If he gets caught in a triangle again, it's over. <laughs> there you go. There you go. He's got a predilection for it. You know his weakness now. It's triangle That's right. jokes. That's right. 
Oh, there you go. You heard it here first. Oh, I'm telling <laughs> Why, you. It's going to be a flying triangle off the side of the cage. Right. Man. He's going to mighty mouse his ass. He's going to step up. He's going to step up and it's going to look like he's going for a hurricane Rana, but he's going to catch that leg underneath that arm. And then just, as he's on, the, he's just he's just taking that neck on the way down. Like, that's, that's how this fight's going to go. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I would love to see that. I would, absolutely, awesome. I would absolutely. I would absolutely love to see that. Tune in by, by the Bellator. <laughs> by the Bellator card for, the, right? for this, this fucking move in MMA history. <laughs> Fuck yeah, I'd be down. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, but ironically, speaking of little guys who are going to put on a crazy fucking show, that brings me to the next one that I want to talk about real quick here. Uh, the People's Co-Main Event as it were, uh, the debut of Sergio Pettis against Alfred Kastakian. Uh, this is what I feel going to be a very, very nice debut fight for Sergio. Uh, they gave him a tough-looking soup can to make his debut with so that they give him a chance to shine <laughs> properly, but it doesn't look too set in place for him. Um, it's not one of those big, like, restaurant cans. It's one of those, like, little Campbell's soup cans. So, you know, you don't think it's too outrageous. But they're they're definitely throwing Sergio in with a nice little uh, attaboy lob right up his fucking, right down the plate for him, as it were. And uh, I think Sergio's going to knock this one out of the park. I don't think I don't think this one sees a third round. I think Sergio takes this guy. If he can't get him before the end of the first, he's getting him earlier in the second. Um. I just want to make this clear when he's saying a nice soup can um, for my foodies out here who are listening, he's talking like a good can of San Marzano tomatoes. Right. Right. They, they're they really fucking fantastic, but they're still canned. They're just still canned. That's right. So, um, but yeah. <laughs> to be honest, this is a good way to introduce uh, Sergio to the Bellator fan base. Cause um, look, everybody knows he came from the UFC he didn't go out on bad terms. He wasn't on a fucking losing streak. He wasn't fucking getting his ass whipped up. He was doing good things. But he went where the money was. That's right. Mm-hmm. You can't and blame him for it reason to say, hey, why did you guys pick him up? Here, let's put him on display for you. And we're going to put it on a really big fucking card because Cyborg's going to be here, so we know people are going to watch. Guess what? This was a fucking brilliant move on their part, putting him on here. And for Sergio... It's fucking excellent because he's about to get paid a lot. And I'm glad for him. I really am. I, we were even talking about it before he made that fucking switch. We're like, he's one of those guys that should make the jump. He's He'll do fantastic things over there. He's doing fantastic things in the UFC, but he wasn't getting paid what he was worth in my opinion. So no. I'm, I'm glad for him. And now he's going to show people why he's getting paid that much. Not to mention he's going to have condom depot across his ass in fights. <laughs> right? Probably not, but, you know, that's always my go-to when it comes to uh, somebody fucking sponsoring somebody's shorts. <laughs> right. Loctite right across the ass crack. <laughs> yeah, I use Loctite at work. What, what's, what's wrong with Loctite? Hold on a sec. <laughs> no, um, I mean, uh, Sergio Pettis, I mean, he's, kind of, he's coming in rolling, um, as much of a role as, as he was able to gather, but I mean, yeah, he's a he's a nice nice young talent coming in coming into Bellator. Um, can I get? I'm still tr- I'm still over here trying to golf tee this. Like, 
How can how can what's it? Kazakian? How can Kazakian win this fight? Like, you know, I I have to make this very clear. I only play devil's advocate when it's two fighters that I really enjoy and really like. Um, Fifteen. I can't sixteen for this one. I have to call it all. Yeah, you know, I, I don't. I don't know the devil's that, advocate. I don't know that, I don't know that I can golf tee this particular fight. <laughs> Sergio Pettis is he's, he's rolling. He's rolling in with a little bit of momentum. He's making some money. It's a, it's a great debut for him. Yeah, um, should be able to put on a show against against Soup Can. So, I, I really don't have a whole lot to say about this one. I don't. Should be should, this one should be over in a hurry. Yeah, maybe he's been, maybe he's been training them them uh, shoulder strikes. You never know. It's going to be entertaining, if nothing else. Sergio doesn't put on boring fights. He really doesn't. And he's fucking young. Yeah, he is. He was pretty young, yeah. And he was, he's 26? I believe he's I want to say, yeah, 26. 26, 27. Yeah. So he's, he's getting into prime. He's, he's moving into his prime in MMA. Yeah. You got to tell about 32 when the wheels start coming off, so... But he's been yeah, training with Duke for most of his fucking life, so if anybody's had a fucking head start in the MMA game, it's definitely fucking Sergio. Yeah. And to be honest, he's, in my opinion, the better of the Pettises. Yeah, I, I completely and, agree. And that, that's not taking anything away from Anthony, because he had a fantastic run, but he's past his prime. The wheels have gotten wobbly, and they're ready to fall off. Absolutely. We've seen it in his last outing, but... Sergio, on the other hand, he's had rising stock. Hell yeah, as he should. He's won three or four straight? Three straight, I believe. Yeah. That's what's off the top of my head. Three or four straight coming into this. So. Coming in with a little momentum. Yep. But that will bring us to the main event of the Bellator evening. The main uh, event of the evening. Interesting headliner. The also debut fight of one Cristiano Cyborg versus Julia Budd for the women's 145-pound belt. They are not fucking around. They are literally throwing them right up to the top of the stack here. Um, This is basically uh, Bellator's way to try to neener-neener the UFC on what was originally going to be the first UFC event of the 2020 calendar year. Uh, surprise, motherfucker! Uh, UFC decided to change that up, and Conor <laughs> McGregor gave a big old Irish fuck you to that plan. So now we are on our second UFC card of the year coming up this weekend, and I can't really say that I'm disappointed because as much as it's, on one hand, a little bad for these organizations to go head-to-head like this, the fans are really the one who win because we are getting two pretty fucking decently stacked cards of MMA and while this might not be the most entertaining main event it's also not the only game in town so uh, on one hand I'm not going to take anything away from Julia Budd because she is a bad bad gal raising a bad bad MMA family so Mm -hmm. there is that to be said Uh, on the other hand you can't ever really a hundred percent count cyborg out she has got a decent skill set to her as much as she might be engrossed completely in controversy 
permanently, pretty much. Um, the other interesting caveat, I can't find my card, so I'm just flashing notes. Uh, the other interesting caveat to that is now that she's over in Bellator, they don't have a USADA. They rely on local commissions, standard drug testing for all of their matches. So there is a legitimate possibility that she could be back on the sauce now, which I get that everybody's going to scream, she's tested positive for years, but she also has a fucking predilection to it. So there also automatically has to be at least a slight bit more suspicion on her than there would in other fighters' cases. And coming into a situation where she's getting her initial debut for the belt in a situation where she's got every opportunity to take advantage of every opportunity that she could to make sure she can get that belt and hold on to it immediately, you have to at least mention it in a conversation if you're being realistic about this. And I'm fucking realistic, if nothing else, when it comes to my fucking analysis of things like this. Um... On one hand, I would love to say that I think this is going to be a great even matchup against two well-rounded strikers. On the other hand, I feel like this is kind of a Bellator circus. They're expecting a shit show and they're marching out the biggest fucking clowns at the end of the night. And I don't mean that disrespectfully to Julia Budd because I think she's legitimately going to put on a good show. But I feel like at this point, the monkeys are kind of running the fucking circus, for lack of a better term. Um, it's, it's going to be an entertaining fight. If nothing else, because this one will have the fucking whole building rocking when it kicks off. But I don't yeah. think it's going to be as exciting as they think it's going to be. Um, I think Julia Budd gets it done in round two. I think Cyborg's oh. chin is not what it used to be. And I think Amanda showed that perfectly. And Julia Budd is kind of a dark horse over in the women's side of MMA. She doesn't really get the credit I feel that she deserves being is that she's the Bellator champion. So certain people automatically disregard and won't give her as much press. But if you go look at Julia Budd's highlight reel and you look at what this woman has done in her career, I think she has every bit the punching power that Amanda Nunez did. And I think she's going to give Cyborg a hell of a fucking good night come Saturday night. I mean, it's going to, this is going to be a strike fest for sure. It's yep. going to be, this going to be like, if you're looking for two, two women to be standing cage and just bang, just, just throwing everything they have at each other. This is probably your fight. Um, this is not going, this is not going to go to the, this is not going to go to the judges. We're not going to let it go to the judges. Um, Julia Budd's, she's a, she's, she's a durable chick. Like she, she will take, she will take some shots and then just come right back at you. So, um, I think she's, I think she's a better technician too. I think she's a better technician than Cyborg is. Cyborg's, Cyborg's just fucking She-Hulk. Like she just relies on power power and the fact that people never expect the power that she has and i think julie Budd would fully expect it oh yeah um i could i could legitimately see julie Budd taking this um that being said it's still a cyborg fight hooray it's still, it's still a cyborg fight so i mean there's always a chance that this could that within the first 30 seconds julie Budd's lying on her back in a pool of blood like there's always that chance very true so i um, I'm just excited here because I get to do the devil's advocate part. You're going to be you're going to be explaining how cyborg how cyborg is going to take this. Um, yeah, uh, this fight this fight could really go either way. This fight could really go either way. Um, I'd like to see Julia Budd just. I'd like to see her pull it off. 
I'd like to see her pull it off, but I don't know that there's there's always that sideboard there's always that sideboard chance. Oh, I, I'm so excited to do this finally. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Julie Bud is great in every <laughs> aspect that she has fought so far. However, here's where we get into this devil's advocate side of things. There's no other woman in that 145 pound division there at Bellator that hits anywhere near as hard as fucking Cyborg does. True. There's not a woman out there other than Amanda Nunes that hits as hard as Cyborg does. And to be honest, I don't think Amanda Nunes hits as hard as Cyborg does. She just managed to catch her first. Right. So, um, yes, Julie Bud can take a lick in and keep on ticking. But can she take a fucking bat to the face and keep on ticking. It's the difference between a fucking goddamn butterfly kiss and getting hit with a softball. There's a big difference there. Um, I don't know that she can because we haven't seen anybody hit her that hard. Now, that's not to say that that's those other fighters' faults, or that Julia Budd hasn't been doing a great job avoiding the strikes. Right. We haven't seen her hit with anything where it looks like a Mack truck ran over her and she came back from it. This is that second. Now, am I happy that they immediately threw Cyborg at the champion? No. Fuck no. Doesn't deserve it. You came from a different organization off of a loss. Why in the fuck do you get a goddamn shot at this? Now, this devil's advocate side of things here. Sorry to say this, but Julia Budd's going to lose this fight. And I think she's going to get knocked out inside of one. Because she's going to get overwhelmed. The cyborg is going to come out and just fucking run her down because she's probably mad that she lost to fucking Nunes. Mad that Dana White wouldn't give her the money she wanted. Now, she's going to be on a mission to come out there and show, hey, this is why you should have paid me, motherfuckers, and make a statement. It says Julia Budd's on the wrong side of this fucking contract. I don't think she sees the second round. In fact, I'll, I, I'm going to leave 10 to Mirage. She doesn't make it outside of three minutes. Interesting. Really, because she's got something to prove now. And now if she's on the sauce, we'll cut that down to two minutes. Uh, I'm not going to say whether she is or is not on the sauce. We'll never know because they do local testing. Right. So they're not actually going to test for all of the sauce. They're going to test for maybe a little bit of the Alfredo, but maybe not the ragu. I'm just saying. Uh, yeah. I so, mean, when she when she when she picks Julie Bud up over her head and throws her out of the octagon, like, right. I mean, that's going to be a hint that there's something going on. Yeah, when you see the testicle fall out of her shorts, then you'll know. <laughs> she Hulk smashes, That's all I'm saying. She Hulk smashes through the center of the fucking octagon floor. Just grabs her by her leg uh, and just I, her And around. to be honest, I feel... I, 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 like, what did you guys test her for? I'll, I'll give Julia Budd credit. She's got some cojones to take the fight for this one. Right back she, truck a lot of money up to her. They had to have, because you know what? You can't call, oh, we're going to give you this um, fucking uh, goddamn wrecking machine that just came off of a loss to the greatest women's champion of all time. And she's going to come in here 
and hit you with a fucking Mack truck, but here's a whole bunch of money to make up for that. Right. Well, yeah, that, that, I would a, make... It's a poorly set up match. And to be honest, Julia Budd, is, she drew the short straw on this one. Whether she got paid a lot or not. So I would make two counterpoints to that. Um, the first one being that Julia Budd actually called Cyborg out before she signed with Bellator. But she called her out at 155 pounds because she knows that Cyborg has issues making weight. The second thing that I would say to that is that if you're a social media person, you take a wander over to one Mike Goldberg's Instagram page from this evening, and he took pictures with both of these fighters getting ready to do their weigh-in tomorrow morning. On Thursday evening... Julia Budd looks thick as a Snickers, fit as a fiddle, and ready to fucking go. 24 hours out from weigh-in, and Cyborg already looks like fucking Skeletor. She does every time. That's nothing new. I'm just saying. In a situation where Julia Budd actually opted to try and make this fight at the next weight class up, because she doesn't have trouble making any division weights over here. And then we're already looking at Cyborg looking like a Skeletor this far out already, I think it could be a very interesting fight by the time we get to Saturday. You know, I can't take the counterpoint on the weight cutting. I can't. That has been Cyborg since fucking day one. Yep. That's not news. That's not new to us. No, no, We've not at all. We've seen that. But so that's, I, that's, that's what that's I'm saying, kind though. Of a that... moot, for me, that's a moot point. Don't get me wrong. The point of Julia Budd being fucking on point and looking good. Yep. Yeah, that's a good solid point. The, the cyborg thing, that's nothing fucking new. We know she has a hard time making weight. But right. she walks around at 250 fucking pounds. Right, no, that's that's <laughs> what I'm saying, though, is that she had an option to take this at 55. But then the title wouldn't be on the line. That's the key there. And Bellator, being the smart marketers they are, it's got to be a title fight because we have to do something to make up for this fight with the UFC. Right. And what do you do with um, somebody you just snaked from the UFC who's a big draw? You throw them right into a title. You don't put them in a catchweight fight. No. Right. It doesn't work that way. So, yeah, it's, it's going to look bad. But, you know, I, I, the weight cutting thing, that's, that is what it is. We've seen that over and over again. Well, she had those problems when she's fucking juicing. and she had them when she wasn't juicing, and we knew she wasn't juicing because she was getting tested by USADA. Look, that's a, that's just calling a fucking spade a spade. That's that circus's monkey, and they're used to it. True. There we go. There we go. Fresh batteries. Okay, so that fresh will batteries? bring us. Fresh batteries. batteries always make a good thing. Fresh so batteries that, for a fresh card. That's right. That will bring us over to a fresh side of things here for the tail end of the show for what I wanted to put the main focus on this weekend's upcoming UFC Rally North Carolina card. Dos Santos versus Blades. Now, this one, much like we talked about earlier with the Bellator card, is clearly not immune to to fluffy bullshititis. There is absolutely 
more than anyone's fair share of nonsensical filler matches on this fucking card. So we're not going to waste any fucking time and mess around with any of those fucking fights. There are a couple of fights that I want to talk about on the prelims here before we dive into the main card because there are some interesting matchups on the prelims coming up this weekend. Yes, there are. First one I want to talk about real quick here is one that I feel hasn't gotten really any press and I don't fucking understand why because I feel like it's going to be fireworks early on. That is Sarah McMahon versus Lena the Elbow Queen Landsberg. This fight has got fucking fireworks written all over it. Sarah McMahon is one rank above Lena Landsberg. But this is about more than just the number. These are two girls who both have great potential, but haven't really been able to have their breakout moment per se in the UFC. Both of them are ranked in the middle of the pack. They are both in the top 10 on the ladies' side in the UFC, but they have not been able to get that <gasps> pay attention kind of moment. And I think that this is going to be one of those fights where we're going to see sparks fucking fly because it's going to have a decent amount of eyes on it, especially going directly against that fucking Bellator card here. So I think this is going to be one of those situations where we're going to see the Elbow Queen do her fucking thing. They don't call someone the Elbow Queen because she throws them once or twice. That's her fucking weapon, and she is dangerous with them. If you think John Jones is a fucking tactician, the way that he throws his elbows like strikes, wait till you see what Lena Landsberg is capable of. And I feel that that is exactly what we are going to get this weekend. Not to take anything away from Sarah McMahon because she's a damn good prospect herself, and I feel that she's going to be a, a staple in this division for a long time as well. But I think Saturday night, we're going to see the Elbow Queen throwing them bows. Good God, yes. I'm so, I'm, this is one of the few fights on the prelims that I was excited to see. Yes. So what really pisses me off is it's not on the main card. And we have fucking Angela Hill on the main card, who doesn't deserve to be there. Nor does her opponent. But that set aside, because I don't want to talk about that, but it pisses me off. This one does have fireworks written all over it. Now, um, I deny potential, no. But it is going to be a fucking, to be honest, I think it's going to end up being a good slugfest. And by slugfest, I mean one throwing punches and the other one just walking through the club, get the fuck out my way. Otherwise, you're going to catch one to the grill with this nasty little point here. This is a... But if Sarah McMahon wins this fight, and I say if, She's going to come out of there looking like somebody hit her with razor blades. Yeah. She's going to get all cut up. Hopefully um, she does a good plastic surgeon. I can't <laughs> That's all I have to say on that. Clay Lansbury is going to tear that face apart. To play the golf team. <laughs> Sarah McMahon is a, is a much, much stronger grappler. So there, there is a chance. There is that, there is that submission chance. Do Absolutely. I actually think it's going to happen? Probably not. Probably not. She's, I mean, if she if she's able to get Landsberg down, I mean, there's an off chance that Landsberg just going to start throwing bows off the ground. So, yeah. like, there's there's a good there, there, Captain Insano shows no mercy. That's true. <laughs> well, and you also have to think that Nico Price has set the precedent. You can throw elbows from the bottom and knock somebody the fuck out. He got fucking Marquez Brown and put him to fucking sleep from the bottom and had to show the referee that he was out cold before they would stop the fucking fight. So yeah. elbows from the bottom are absolutely a thing. Sarah McMahon takes her down and goes for the submission that something like that will occur. Yes, um, indeed. 
I mean, I gotta go. I gotta go with the bows. I gotta go with the bows. I, I I'll play the devil the devil's advocate for a point to the point where you know Sarah McMahon's got a shot in this fight. True. Um, she she I mean she's got a very good shot at this fight, but yeah. do I think it's gonna happen? Probably not. Probably not. Realistic realistically. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't think this is. I don't think this can be fight of the night or anything like that. But it's it's gonna be entertaining as shit. Yeah, no. Well, and and to be fair, um, you, you both make a very valid point here that McMahon has got leaps and bounds better grappling than Landsberg does. But I feel like this is one of those situations where if that's how she's gonna play it, she's gonna have to stick to her fucking game plan right out the gate, not engage with Landsberg on her terms, and then make sure she mixes up her fucking takedown attempt and gets it to the ground solidly because if she yeah. can't hold Lena down, yeah, if she can't hold Lena down, it's going to be real bad anywhere this fight ends up, I feel. Yeah. You know what else is going to be difficult for McMahon? Landsberg was really active last year. For a female fighter, she had two fucking fights last year. Landsberg had a one. And she hadn't fought prior to that for a year prior to that. So she's been about a once-a-year fighter. Landsberg's been looking a lot more active lately. And that's a scary proposition for um, somebody who's coming in known as the elbow queen who's been active like that. Keeping the tool sharp, the elbow is even sharper. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. That is absolutely going to be a fucking great fight, I believe. But that will bring us to the other fight on the prelims that I feel interesting enough that we should take a moment to talk about here. Another one that mixed in with the fluff that they've got an abundance of on the prelim card. I feel there's another little shiny little gem that's kind of buried beneath the soil that I want to brush down. Uh, that being the Arnold Allen versus Nick Lentz fight. I don't understand how this is not on the fucking main card. This is my hands-down dark horse fight of the night contender right here. These two little guys are both fucking dynamos. Arnold Allen is a prospect on a hell of a tear, and Nick Lentz might be the most creative little guy in the UFC, in my opinion. He's so fucking crafty with the way that he mixes up his strikes and his takedown attempts, the way that he's always on an off foot when he shoots or when he throws. He always looks like he's going to leap forward but he never quite does. He kind of seems like he's doing that Michael Jackson fucking smooth criminal lean more often than not. Like, he's on the tips of his toes, but too far forward. And it just, it blows my fucking mind. And I think in this situation, as, as young and hungry as Arnold Allen is, I feel that this is one of those situations where he's just going to be a little too green for his own good. I feel that Nick Lentz has too many tricks up his sleeve that he can pull and he's such a well-rounded fucking fighter i feel that his creativity and his fucking in-ring fight iq is just going to be a little too much but i feel like it's going to be a great fucking fight i don't think this one gets a finish though i feel like these two are evenly matched enough technically speaking i think this one's going to the judges but i think lentz is going to do enough work in the process to where he's going to get the hand raise at the end I'm inclined to agree with you on this one. Uh, however, I'll, this is where I don't think Allen's going to get it done purely because Nick Lentz at this point, he's a journeyman and he's been fighting for a long fucking time. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, the problem with Nick is he's never been really steady. He's been hot or cold. We've seen some flashes of fucking greatness where 
he looks like he could make it up there and make a run at the title. And then he fucks it. Yeah. It's one of the things, It's to be honest, Arnold has a pretty good chance of winning this fight, depending on which Nick Lance shows up. True. Because we've seen a lot of hot and cold out of Nick Lance. And to be honest, me, that's a bummer. So I've been a fan of his for quite some time, and he just can't ever seem to string them together the right way. And for Alan being an up-and-coming prospect, this is a huge fight for him. Probably at this point in his career, this is going to be a career-defining moment on where he goes with this. I mean, if he wins this fight, that could really catapult him upwards on this. And not because Nick Lentz is up there in the rankings, because he's not. He's not even top 15. But because of the caliber and journeyman fighter that he is, that could be huge things for Alan. Um, don't get me wrong, um, Lentz is coming off of a loss to fucking Oliveira, which um, is fighting in one of the upcoming cards. But yeah. um, that's not him or there. But um, he's fought guys that are legitimately good fucking fighters and just can't seem to get it done when the spotlight's on him. Like, to be honest, I hate to say this, God, I hate to compare him to him, but he's being a little Cerrone-esque when it comes to that. He's putting on great fights every fucking time. He comes out, puts on great wars, but it seems like when the spotlight's on him, when it's his time to shine, he can't get it done. And in a fight like this, there's not a whole lot of spotlight on him. The spotlight for this fight is strictly on Arnold. Yeah. He is that up-and-coming prospect who's been stringing together some good wins. And now this is that time where you've met at this point. I'll say it. Nick Lance has turned into a gatekeeper. Kind of, yeah. He, yeah, he really has. This is. Are you going to make that plunge up into the upper echelons of fighters, Alan, or are you not? You get by Lens. Here we go. You're going up to the big boys. You're going up probably to the top 10, top 15 fighters there. And that's where... You're going to see what happens now. Nick Lentz, this could be a good turning point in his career, too, if he wins. So it might be, well, I just knocked off a good prospect. And see what happens. Yeah, I want to see this goes to Lentz. It's hard to say that it goes to Nick Lentz on this because I don't know which fighter is going to show up. Is it going to be the guy who can't shine in the spotlight, or is it the guy who, oh, this fight doesn't mean a whole lot because it's not a ranked opponent? And I'm going to do fucking great, get another shot at a ranked opponent, and fuck it again. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Nick Lentz has won a hell of a lot more fights than he's lost at this point. So, I mean, you have to take him seriously. You have to. Um, you know, he can he can do whatever with, with anybody. He doesn't, he did, he's got a nice, nice rounded skill set. Um, fighting, a, fighting a super, well, not super young, but he's fighting a younger fighter. Um, and Allen's been, Allen's been showing a lot more to his game in the last couple of fights that he's had. So, I mean, this could, this could, this could be a dark horse fight, fight of the night right here. Like meter was saying, um, this could, I mean, there's an off chance that this, that this one comes down to a submission because Arnold Allen apparently, you know, apparently likes to get his ass kicked for a little bit. Then, yeah, and then start and then start his motor up. Um, 
And Nick Lenz, he's he's not the t- he's not the type of dude you want to do that to. You don't want a slow start. You don't want a st- slow start on Nick Lenz. I mean, I, if it goes if it goes past a round and a half, everything everything's coming up, Allen. Like there there'll be no no doubts that. But I mean, there's there's always that off chance that the that the crafty old bastard sneaks back into the room. So we saw it, we saw it we just saw it we just saw it happen with the crafty old bastard sneaking back into the room then yep. did you guys forget about me you know <laughs> so i i mean it's a it's a great it's a great opportunity for both guys and it's good. I, I i really think it's going to be a great fight um especially if Allen comes out hot like right. I, I think i think it could be a lot of fun if Allen comes out hot he just hasn't shown that tendency in the last couple of fights so we'll see we'll see but i mean he's also shown that you can take a look and come right back at you. That's so. true. I think, Almighty Arnold. I think in this situation, my biggest problem with giving the hat nod towards Allen is that fucking Tom Selleck reject 70s porn stash that he will not fucking get rid of. If you got something working for you, just work it, baby. Like, work it. Even Captain Lou is shaking his head at that mustache. Like, it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. I was I was just about to bring that up. I was wondering if anybody was going to say anything about the power of the oh, yeah. About it. oh yeah. Well, oh, he doesn't man. have the face for the mustache. That's the problem. No, he doesn't. It's oh, there's not... a there's a lot of people that don't have the face for the stash that rock it anyway. Yeah, there's yeah. that's one of those things that some people look right with facial hair, some people don't, and you you can't force it. It's one of those things, and when you do, you look like Arnold Allen. And Oof is what I'll say. Oof. <laughs> oh man. But that will bring us into the meat of the meat and potatoes that is the meat and potatoes of this particular section of the show. The main card for this weekend's UFC rally event. Now, unfortunately, much like the prelims on this particular card. The main card, sadly, is not immune to fluffy filling bullshititis either. Unfortunately, they've come down with a touch of it as well, so we're not going to waste time and dick around with bullshit fights on the main card when there are plenty of them that shouldn't be there. The one that I do want to talk about on the main card is actually one that we kind of alluded to earlier, and I want to talk about it mainly because I don't believe it should be on the main card. That being the Hannah Cyphers versus Angela, air quote, overkill Hill fight. This is one of the few things that legitimately had me a little upset about this card. Literally, on my notes, for this fight, I have too boring to make a call. This <laughs> fight doesn't have a fucking shred of relevance. Angela Hill is in no way going to make a big fucking leap off this because she's been fighting like... Warning. Oh, we're doing a lot. We'll find out if we're back yet in a second or not. Do we have to... Do we have to cover that material again?
There we, there we go. I think we should be back and fully good to go again. Hopefully. Yeah, I just got popped on audio. We're back. Okay, good. Sorry yeah, about yeah, that, it's... folks. <sighs> I, I, my quite, my real question about this fight is, do we have to talk about this again? Because me and Golf Tee were talking about it before. <laughs> yeah, no, no. We're, we're, we're literally going to move on because even talking about that fight was so fucking terrible, it crashed my OBS. Zoom stayed fine. The chat stayed fine. That fight was so terrible, it crashed OBS. So we're literally just going to move right the fuck on. The, the O in OBS stands for overkill. Yeah, that's we're, why. That's we're, we're talking crash. Yeah, I'm just. I'm you know, even... I think they, I think they misspelled that. I think that's overhype is what they meant by. Right. But the good thing now is that getting to this point, seeing as how OBS was that excited, it just it reaffirms that this is the point in the show where we have to just woosah and relax a little bit. We are clearly way too excited and we didn't even realize it. We've gotten ourselves so worked up being rabid that we've lost sight of the fun. So what we have to do at that point is just in with the good shit, out with the bullshit, and come into oh. this little thing that we like to refer to as our casual corner. So now that OBS has stopped freaking out and we've got everything rolling once again, we are going to call upon our favorite casual. I believe she's somewhere out in the ether. Hopefully. I just, I just saw why that fight's on the main card. Uh -oh. Anna Cypress is, is from North Carolina. They got the hometown girl on the fucking card. That makes sense. Here we go. Kind of. I mean... As much sense as it can be. Yeah. Casual's here. Casual corner. Casual corner looks like they have fucking suck head. Wow. Wow. I promise you I was playing Call of Duty. Not having sex with Rin. Anywho, casual corner. Your way is all good. This is bad. This is really, really... <laughs> what is going on with my hair? I can't even... Fuck it. This is what happens. Um... Curtis Blades. Yep. Versus Junior Dos Santos. Yep. I've heard Dos Santos a lot. Mm -hmm. But there was somebody before Dos Santos that sounded familiar to Dos Santos. Is it in Santos? Dos Enjos. Dos Enjos. Yep. Yeah. Well, I don't know the difference. I don't know. I just don't know. So. Pulling up the stats for this mighty fine event. Razor, a.k.a. Curtis, is red. So if you hear me refer to red, because I have a bad memory. And then Junior Dos Santos is blue. Uh, let's look at the stats. We got Curtis in with an 11-2-0. So he's he must be an up-and-comer. He, he must have not been around very long. We got Junior at 21-5-0. 6-4 versus 6-4, 265. What is this? Wait, why does it say his weight's 265 and the other dude's weight's 238? Because that's, that's what he weighs in at. 
Mm-hmm. How much is red cutting down to get to this? What is the weight class? A weight limit for the heavyweights is 265. So they could be under that, but they can't go over 265. Yeah. So heavyweight is one of the weird classes in MMA. Light heavyweight is 205 pounds, and heavyweight is anything from 206 to 265. That entire gamut is the heavyweight division. But the other thing that's interesting about this is that Curtis Blades, like a lot of heavyweights, actually cuts down to get to 265, whereas JDS weighs in at 238 because that's what he walks around at and he doesn't cut anything. And he's yep. like, I could fucking eat a fucking fried sandwich right yep. now and give no fucking That sounds good. You're going to go air fry me a sandwich? A fried awesome. sandwich? I do kind of want to uh, contenders, have a cheese fried sandwich now. That sounds fantastic. Your contenders, some yeah. cheese. Yeah. No butter on the bread. <laughs> so that's pretty cool that he doesn't have to drop a bunch of crazy weight and just be himself. I like that. I like yeah. that. But uh, I don't know. It's it's looking like a tie because we got 75% KO, TKO for Blades. And 71% KO, TKO for Dos Santos. Submission, 0% for Blade. Uh, Dos Santos, 5. Decision, 25. Decision, 24. This is a pretty fair matchup. Um, let's see. Significant strikes landed per minute. Looks like Dos Santos throws more per minute. But right. Blades gets more significant strikes. Yep. Hmm. That also sounds right. The Santos absorbs more hits per minute than Blade does too. Yep. So is he like a whack him until you get that shot in? He's JDS is kind of a stand and bang kind of dude versus Blades who is more of a take you down and hit you when I got you on the ground kind of dude. He's not a ground pound humper. Yeah, no, he's going to take you to the ground and smash your face in. Yeah, have he's got, he's got, yeah, it doesn't matter what angle he's at. He could have side control. He could have full. He could have full mount. And he could be back. And he could be... Have I ever seen Curtis fight? I think you may have seen him fight once last summer. Oh, that was too long ago for me to remember. It's been yeah, it's um, been a little bit. I honestly don't know who I would go for. They seem pretty paired up. Blade seems a little bit newer, where Dos Santos has been in the game for a little bit. There's got quite a good um, weight reach. I'm almost tempted to go for the weight, but I always say don't underestimate the skinny guy. This is Junior Dos Santos does not look skinny. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know if you call him skinny, but skinnier, yeah. 238, that's not... I don't know. Curtis has more weight on him. He has a better reach on him by like three inches. The leg reach, he's got fucking five inches. I don't know. His legs are just fucking spidey legs, apparently. We're going for Curtis just because he's so massive. I like massive, like, poundy people. I like the massive poundy people. 
I do think Dos Santos will give him a run for his money, but I'm going for Curtis. Good call. Yeah. Good call. I like your analysis, Lemmy. Andrew Floopy hair. It's it's more docile now. We're good. <laughs> Casual corner out. Thank you, ma'am. Much appreciated for your take on things here. So, like we do around here, right about this time in the show, now that we've got a nice, refreshing, casual look on our main event here, we are going to let the foam run through our jaws once again and get back into Rabbitville. But we're going to start from our co-main event here, because as interesting as this main event is, we actually, for a change, have a good co-main and main event to look forward to this weekend on the UFC side of things. So the co-main event, the potato side dish, if you were, to our Tomahawk steak getting ready to come up, is RDA, Rafael Dos Anjos, versus Michael Chiesa. Now, this is going to be an interesting match for a number of reasons here. RDA has basically not been able to decide whether he's going to be a 155-pound fighter or a 170-pound fighter much like some other folks that we just saw last weekend here, the difference, in my opinion, is that when we see RDA go up to 170 pounds, he seems a little faster. He seems like he's still got the good gas tank, but he's one of the few people, for my taste at least, that when he goes up in weight does not seem to carry his power or extend his power when he goes up. Most of the guys... Connor and Cowboy both are perfect examples of that. When we see them fight at 170, when either one of those two connects with a guy at 170, you see a very noticeable oh shit moment. Whereas both of them at 155 have absolute power to connect with a guy and get their attention, but not quite that same oh shit realization like when they get clipped from those guys at 170. And I feel like RDA is almost the opposite here. We almost see RDA hit harder at 155, even if he can hit faster and maybe last a little longer at 170. The problem is, Kiesa isn't going to want to stand and bang. That's not his fucking wheelhouse, never has been, hopefully never fucking will be. Kiesa is the most dangerous when he's got you on the ground and he can throw some weird fucking submission at you from an angle that you don't expect it because he really does have a great submission game even though he does have a verbal tap on his own record. Everybody gets a Howard Dean moment. I understand. Somebody needs a ah! in their background once in a while or you're just not living, I think. But <laughs> in this situation, his Howard Dean moment cost him a fight because in MMA in most organizations at least, a verbal submission counts as a submission. So if you get put into a hold and somebody cranks on your fucking limb enough to where you literally scream out, that's it. Michael Chiesa's got one of those on his record. So it's an interesting dichotomy because on one hand, he is legitimately dangerous from a submitter point of view, but on the other side of that coin, we've seen that, like in other fights we talked about earlier, there is a clear predilection for him to be the submit E. And even though RDA might not carry his striking power up when he moves up, RDA's jujitsu is always good. So I feel like this is going to be one of those fights where 
RDA is going to want to come out and keep this on the feet. Kies is going to want to get it to the ground, but when we get it to the ground, I don't think it's going to go the way Kiesa anticipates it going. I think, for my money, based on what we've seen so far, Kiesa seems like he's going to game plan to get this to the ground and try and either ground and pound or submit RDA, whereas RDA is going to try and keep this a striking battle, but... He's got that ace up his fucking sleeve. He's got that badass jujitsu background that people, for some fucking reason, constantly forget about because he tries to be more of a striker. But that's mm -hmm. what we see in so many of these matchups where you've got wrestler versus wrestler and nobody wrestles. They both know they've got that ace up their fucking sleeve, so they don't want to use it. And that's the same way that I feel RDA treats his jujitsu. So I feel like this is what we're going to see. They're going to come out. It's not going to be a fucking Jorge Masvidal Ben Askren situation. We're not going to look for a fucking flying knee coming out the gate. Neither one of these guys are traditionally fast starters. But RDA leans onto that pedal pretty quick, whereas Kiesa tends to like to be a little more reserved and a little laid back, specifically when he's trying to set up his takedowns or he's trying to get the fight to the ground. And I feel like that's going to be his downfall. When he gives RDA a moment, he's going to get clipped with a fucking flurry because even if they aren't hard, RDA still hits fast as shit and then once the flurry shakes him up a little bit there's going to be a desperation takedown attempt and rda is going to let it go to the ground he's not fucking worried about that because when we get there he's at home kiesa then thinks he's got the advantage so he's lulled him into a false sense of security i think we see kiesa get choked the fuck out in round two <clears throat> huh. that's a heck of a call on that right I don't. I don't know that I can say that that's going to happen. <laughs> I I doubt that we see Kiesa get choked up. I doubt that we see him have the RNC or fucking that. But I'm not discrediting Rafael Lasagna's fucking drum game at all. If Kiesa's drum game is on fucking point, both his offense and his that's been his bread and butter since he was on the Ultimate Fighter. It's true. Look at that. That's how he made it on to the show. That's how he made it through the show. That's how he won that Ultimate Fight. Well, that dude's ground game is on point. However, he's not one that is good on the feet. I'm going to call that straight out. Michael Chiesa has been, for lack of better terms, lackluster when it comes to standing and trading, or even just being able to fucking set up a good jab and keep distance. He's good at, in my opinion, not counter-striking, but counter-takedowns. Yeah, I'll concede and that, absolutely. Being as Rafael Dosanias likes to strike, <clears throat> that could get him in trouble. Now, I'm not going to say that he's going to immediately get him down and beat the piss out of him or get him into a submission immediately. But once Kiesa gets somebody into a compromised position, he's hard to get out of there. And we've seen men there with guys that have fucking excellent ground games and he still managed to fucking choke them off. He still managed to get the fucking RNC or a fucking nice guillotine in there. He does have some sneaky submissions that even some of the better jujitsu players out there haven't been able to stop. But on the other side of that, 
a dude can't take a shot. He, he's fucking last job. He's got that rock hole chin. Yeah. Um, literally, uh, little Matt comes in the ring and knocks him out. Yep. But, I mean, what this is going to come down to is can Kiesa get the takedown? If Kiesa gets the takedown, he wins this fight, in my opinion. It's not going to be in the first round. It'll probably be a late second round, mid third round at best. However, Rafael de Sanos can avoid the takedown. Keeps it standing. He wins this fight all day. But uh, to be quite honest, right now, um, Michael Kies is fighting above his um, above his pay grade here. If I'm being quite honest, Rafael de Sanos is just a much more well-rounded fighter than Kiesa is. Don't get me wrong. I want to give Kiesa all the credit in the world because you know what? He did something <clears throat> really tough. He made it through the Ultimate Fighter. As his fucking father passed away. Very true. That takes a lot of hearts and a lot of guts. And you know what? My hat's off to you, but you're also a crybaby bitch. Yep. Um, namely for the, oh my God, you threw something in the fucking bus, so I'm going to have to sue you now. Go fuck right off. You're an innocent bystander that happens in drive-by shootings. You don't see them suing the fucking people. Shut up. Okay. Um, anyway, I think what's going to end up happening this is Rafael Dosanias is probably going to end up getting the victory, but only if he keeps it standing. If Michael Kiesa gets a takedown, Kiesa wins it, and it'll end up being either be a rear naked choke or a guillotine. Interesting. And it'll come late second, early third, because those are his bread and butter chokes, and we've seen it over and over. But stranger things have happened, so we'll see. Yeah. <clears throat> I think, I mean, this is one of those fights that's going to come down to whose defense versus the other person's strength is going to be better. Um, Kiasa, Kiasa, I mean, if, if he shows any modicum of punch defense, which he hasn't shown much of, um, you know, he, he'll get his, he'll get a shot at a takedown and then, you know, can he wear Dos Anjos down on the ground, just keep pressuring and pressure and pressure and moving, trying to take a limb, move, 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 put that weight on him. Um, and that's the type of fight that Dos Anjos has had trouble with. So, you know, someone that's able to really, really keep that pressure going. So, I mean, I, I think I think that's the outline of the two guys' game plans. I, I think Dos Anjos, he does, he won't mind he won't mind standing striking if it goes to the ground. Obviously, he's gonna be looking he's gonna be looking for rear naked chokes all day. That's it. That he loves those rear naked chokes, doesn't he? Um, yeah, because he does. Just love them. Um, and he's a master. He's a master at slipping them in from weird angles and and manipulating manipulating the ground game quite a, quite a bit, you know. Um, so this will be one of those things. If it, if it, if it does actually go to the ground, I think it, I think it'll be one of those beautiful MMA chess fights for as long as they're on the ground. But as long as they're as long as they're standing, he's just gonna be he's just gonna be throwing volume, trying to you know trying to rack up points, rack up points, rack up points. I don't know that he can. I don't know that uh, he can knock Chias out. I mean, it's certainly a possibility, but. Um, you know, Chiasa, Chiasa just keeps taking beatings and keeps coming for, you know, keeps countering into takedowns and working his game. So we'll see, we'll see which direction it goes. It's, it's who's going to be able to take advantage of the defense. Um, the other per who's going to be able to take advantage of the other person's weakness. And, um, at this point, I gotta, I gotta say, I gotta say, I'm going to, am I going with Dalty? Chiasa, Chiasa possibly getting that into the, getting that into the ground, getting him down to the ground and just working him. 
just working him because I, I think he I think he's better at that counter takedown. And Dosanos has shown that he has a lot of problems with it. So protect your neck, son. Protect your neck. That's all I gotta say. It's the name of the damn game. Is one of the most important rules in the fucking game too. Yep. Definitely be interesting to see how that one shakes out. Now, with that being said, that will bring us to the illustrious dripping tomahawk steak that is the main event for the meat and potatoes of the meat and potatoes segment in this meat and potatoes segment of the show. Your mouth should be drooling at this point because some fucking how, boys and girls, we got two UFC events in a row with decent fucking main events. I don't mm-hmm. know how the fuck we got it this way. Thank you, Conor McGregor, I guess. But damn it, <laughs> boys and girls, we got two fucking cards in a row with good main events from the UFC. This is the title for the card, the reason we're doing it in Raleigh, North Carolina. UFC Raleigh's Curtis Blades versus Junior Dos Santos heavyweight matchup. Like our favorite casual alluded to earlier, on paper, this is a fucking tough match to call. Because if you're just looking at the numbers, if you're strictly doing MMA math, this is a hard one to work the equations out for. Everything on both sides balances real, real fucking close. The thing that helped me kind of look a little deeper into this fight is literally to just look back at the top of those numbers because at the top of every stat page for every fighter is their record. Even though Curtis Blades and JDS might have similar records percentage-wise, when you look at the number, the actual number of total fights, there's a very large distance. I'm talking grand canyon size difference in the experience that these two fighters have and that's not overall i'm just strictly talking here about mma because if we're talking about overall experience the time that jds has in fighting would i'd say absolutely be comparable if not maybe even a little less than what curtis blades has in the wrestling side of the world And while he might not be your go-to name-recognizable D1 All-American, Curtis Blades is also nothing to overlook in terms of any aspect of his MMA game. Yes, he is a spectacular wrestler, but he doesn't base his game on his wrestling. He weaves it in as a tool into that skill set, and he does so very nicely. He's good at counter-takedowns. He's also good at initiating aggressive takedowns. The issue I think that's going to make this really interesting is that the guy he's going up against in Junior Dos Santos, basically for, you know, I'm not trying to discredit his early work by any stretch of the imagination, but for the average person, for the most recognizable notoriety, JDS made his name off of his fights with what we have seen as arguably the best big man wrestler the UFC had to offer in Cain Velasquez. Those two had some of the greatest wars the UFC had ever seen, and the vast majority of all of those wars relied around the going back and forth between the striking and the takedown. It made the difference one way or the other, and every one of those fucking landmark fights that those two have been through. But on the same token, 
the fact that we're talking about JDS's notoriety and his resume shining points being as far back as his fights with Kane five, six, seven years ago also speaks to one of the things that's going to make this fight interesting. While we know that JDS is capable of being one of the baddest heavyweights on the fucking planet, the prime where we saw the baddest JDS that we have ever seen was a couple of years ago. So mm -hmm. while you do have to tip your hat and say that we've seen what he's capable of, you also have to understand that even in the best case scenario with the most gifted genetics and the best corner, the most educated training regimen and the best nutrition money can buy, father time always wins in the long run. No one gets to do this game forever. And JDS, as much as it hurts me to say it, is on the 19th hole. This dude should have hung his clubs up and returned his cart a couple of fucking swings ago. He is absolutely and undeniably a future Hall of Famer and one of the very few people on the big man side of things who has been able to show a legitimate, well-rounded game to the point of legendary status. All aspects of his game. But that side of JDS was exhibited in its prime years ago. That's not the JDS that we're going to see this weekend. And the proof in the pudding for that is we've already seen both Kane and JDS try to make a resurgence in the last year, and we've seen both of them meet the exact same fate, albeit from different sides of the game. As great as they were at this point, they are just too slow and too stiff to compete with this young breed of fighters. And Curtis Blades, for me, is a perfect representation of that newer breed of fighter because he's got a notable wrestling background but doesn't make that his game point. That is a tool that he uses in his overall game. And I think in this situation, that well-roundedness, that youngness, that greenness in a good way towards the MMA side of the world is going to work out way better in his favor than the excessive mileage that we have when we're looking at JDS. And I don't think it's going to be pretty, and I don't think it's going to be long. I don't see this fight making it out of the first round. I think we're going to see another incident just like the last time we saw him, maybe not from a similar uppercut like it was last time, but I think we see JDS get knocked out in the first round. I think he's done, and I hope it's the last time we see it happen. I mean, <clears throat> JDS is, he's one of those guys that you got to circle his name. He's, he's probably UFC hall of fame. He's done, he's done things, he's done things remarkably, remarkably politely. Yeah. For, I, he's, he's always been a really nice, seemed like a really nice, respectful fighter. There's been occasions where he started running his mouth, but for the most part, he's been, he's been a respectful guy. He's, he's been the company guy. And I just kind of see this as, you know, Curtis Blades. Curtis Blades needs a needs a match. JDS, what are you doing? Go gatekeep, man. Go gatekeep. Like, there's always an off chance Junior Dos Santos is gonna knock somebody the fuck out. Yeah. Like, that's just you go into a JDS fight. That's just the way things are gonna happen. There's always that off chance that he catches it. But I just don't. I mean, Curtis Blades, right now, is one of those dudes that he's almost, almost almost unstoppable and his game just keeps getting better and better and better and i i think it'll go to stoppage i think it'll be i think it'll be a ref stoppage i don't know if it's first or second but it, it's certainly not going to the third 
Um, TJ's rubbing his eyes. Uh oh, he's coming. He's he's gonna he's gonna golf team me, isn't it? He's he's coming after me, <laughs> Junior Dos Santos stats. Um, I just think I just think I just think Curtis Blades is kind of the future of the kind of the future of the heavyweight division. Like there's just so there's just so many things about his game to like that. It's gonna it's and he's in a and he's in a hometown crowd and it's gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna be one of those fights, right? So I think I think Junior Dos Santos Junior Dos Santos with uh with the knockout in the first. Just to just to throw TJ off his game. But that's not actually what I think is going to happen. I think he's gonna get his head punched. I think I think he's gonna get his head pounded through the fucking mat. Go ahead, go ahead, Gulf T. Come back at me, man. Oh, he's prime. He's priming up. <laughs> I know. He's taking a long lift. He's just waiting for the season. All right. Now that um, the, start going on about crafty old man, isn't he? The complete discreditation has happened here with Santos between you two ass fucks. <laughs> I'm gonna have to play devil's advocate on this. Look, I understand Junior Dos Santos is getting pushed back half of his career. Where's your fucking sign? Because there's a caveat here. I'm just saying. Um, look at the last two years of his career. He's lost once. Two Francis Ngannou. He's beaten the likes of Derek Lewis, Ty Tuivasa, fucking uh, even a uh, fucking Mr. A Hole in His Fucking Heart. That dude has put out some fucking major key players that are in the heavyweight division. He's not done yet. Contrary to what everybody fucking thinks. Look, you got sent into orbit by fucking Francis Ngannou. Who hasn't fucking Francis Ngannou sent into orbit outside of Derek Lewis because those two fuckers, for some odd reason, got gun shy? Right. Look, he's still well within a striking distance of having a fucking title shot. Now, to make this very clear, I don't think he's going to win this fight. But I don't think he's going to get completely dismantled because we've seen him have great success against fucking wrestlers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, prime example, look at the him and Cain Velasquez fight when Cain Velasquez was in his fucking prime. I'm just saying, there was an uppercut from hell that put Cain Velasquez clean down on the canvas. Absolutely. Junior Santos still has that power. He knows how to fight wrestlers. He's had a long career. Curtis Bladestone, I have nothing but respect for this dude. I love Chris Blades. I like the way he fights. He tells people what he's going to do to them. He says, I am going to take you down, and then I'm going to pound the piss out of you while I wear you out, because that's what I do. I'm not going to wrestle fuck you like Khabib does. I'm going to punch you while I'm wrestle fucking you, so you will know I'm there, and you're going to know I'm there twice as bad. Now, key here is, can he actually manage to get Tisanios to the ground? Tisanius has had a fantastic track record of holding off wrestlers throughout his entire career. And if you look at those last two years' fights, guess what? One loss, one fucking loss, and you guys are completely discrediting him. That's fucking bullshit. I'm calling it right now on the both of you. Fucking bullshit. The guy is still well within his prime because guess what? You know how many of those fights went to decision that he won minus the one loss? Only one. The other two, fucking knockouts. Knocked out Ty Tuivasa. Knocked out Derek Lewis. 
So he got put into orbit by Francis Ngannou. Look, Francis Ngannou is a scary motherfucker. He's better than Curtis Blades. I'll call that right fucking now. Yeah. I, I, I certainly agree. But <laughs> I, I don't think the Santos is anywhere near done. I'm nowhere near done. Now, if for some odd reason Curtis Blades comes in here and just fucking completely dismantles them, I will eat my words. I don't foresee that happening. This is going to be a fucking more of a war than what everybody is giving the Sanyos credit for. Even when you're reading it from fucking other analysts, everybody, Curtis Blades, Curtis Blades, look, it's fine to be all over him. He's a fantastic fighter. But Junior Santos is getting so much fucking just, in my own opinion, he's getting discredited as a fighter. And for me, that's a horrible fucking thing because nobody's looking at what he's done in the last two years. You've had one setback in two years. That's not bad in the heavyweight division. There's plenty of fighters out there that are still in the top ten that have had two, three setbacks in two years and still top ten. That's the name of the game at heavyweight. It's a luck of the draw, but if you're doing it consistently and you've only got knocked out by the fucking number one contender in my eyes, fuck. It is what it is. And that's right. I'm calling Ngannou the number one contender over Daniel Crybaby Bitch DC Cormier. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's by far a much better fighter than him. And DC somehow managed to avoid having to fight that motherfucker in an actual fist fight. How the fuck does that happen? Dumb. You know, that's neither here nor there. At least Steepanks fought him. Right. But, you know, um, either way, we're not talking about that. Curtis Blades, on the other hand. his wrestling is fucking phenomenal. He really right. is an outstanding wrestler. And for a heavyweight, he's got a gas tank for days. Yeah. And, and I'm saying that for a heavy, he, his gas tank is better than most in the heavyweight division. Uh, there's very few that rank up there with his gas tank, especially with the type of fighting he does that's so heavily wrestling-based. Yeah. I just don't see this being an easy fight for him. To be honest... I wouldn't be surprised if we see a patented Junior Dos Santos uppercut and that dude going 99th with inside of two. In fact, you know what? I'm going to make that my call on this fight. Junior Dos Santos gets it done inside of two rounds. It's going to be with a fucking uppercut. Curtis Blades is going to sleep as much as I don't want to see him go to sleep because I love him as a fighter. I have to, for everybody who's discrediting him, fuck you guys. Junior Dos Santos with inside of two rounds. So I will say this, uh, being that JDS is JDS, there is absolutely every fucking undeniable possibility that at any point in that fight from the starting bell until the final bell, that he can whip one of those fucking uppercuts out of nowhere and put anybody on the fucking roster on their ass. My point here, in my discreditation, which I firmly stand behind, is that the main differentiating factor for me in the heavyweight division isn't power, it isn't speed, it isn't your toolbox. The most important thing for heavyweights is recovery. Mm -hmm. As you get older, recovery becomes more and more difficult to begin with. Then you factor in recovering as a heavyweight gets exponentially more difficult at that point. So now you're talking about a potential older gentleman who's fighting at heavyweight 
and already naturally has recovery going against him. And then you look at the reason that we didn't see JDS before now in the end of the 2019 year. Because that gentleman was in the hospital just a month and change ago with a blood infection that nearly killed him. JDS or not, when you're pushing past 40 as a heavyweight professional fighter with a history of injuries that take significant time to recover from, and then you add a blood-borne infection that nearly killed him just a few months ago, and the heavyweight factor and the age factor all come into play with that, I don't think he's ready for Curtis Blades as much as he might think he is. And I think that's going to be the deciding factor for me, the recovery I that he didn't think get. think he might have his age backwards. He's younger than all of us. He's only 35 years old. JDS or Blades? JDS is only 35. All right, now I gotta Google. Yeah, he's younger than all of us currently, if I'm not mistaken. I know Blaze is 28. Yeah, Blaze is young in his career. JDS, on the other hand, is not. Is he's not as young as him, but he's not over 40 at this point. Let me double check just to make sure. I'm pretty sure he's 35 now. Hardly seems possible. He's yeah. Been so fucking he was born long. January 30th of 84. He's 35 years old. Jesus. No he'll be, shit. He'll be fucking 36, 36 here um, next week, Thursday. So he turns 38 damned. or 36 after his wife. I'll be damned. I thought he was 40 already. Yeah. So, well, I understand the diminishing terms with age, and he's into that category now. Now, it's not quite as bad at 40. Are quite as bad at 35. In fact, right. nowhere near as bad once you get over that 40 to 40, like five mark there. No offense to my friends that are older than 40. Unfortunately, that is what it is. Father time is all of us. You old bastard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but look, I get the whole bloodborne infection thing, but he's nowhere near. He's nowhere near that end of his career. Yeah, he's been around a long time, but that's that. And I understand the diminishing returns thing where you come from, but I think that that's not enough to push him push him out. I really don't think so. But you know, that's the reason why we're armchair quarterbacks here. We're all empowered to our own opinion, and I still think you guys are fucking wrong. <laughs> and I think part of the reason I thought he was older is because, to his credit, we've seen a fucking million JDS fights. He's been yeah. a legitimately active fucking contender for more than a decade. So it feels like he should be older than he is, I think, in this situation. Oh, and the other part of this is, if you look 10 years ago, he looked as old as he fucking looks now. He looked like he was 40 right. 10 years ago. Right, yeah. That's that's definitely a strong part to play in it as well. <laughs> hey, he's never looked like a young guy, at least not since I've seen him fight. Yeah, no hey. shit. Even you go back as far as his early fights when he was in his early 20s, he looked like he was pushing 40 then. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's part of why I thought he was over 40 already. I'll be damned. Learn something new every day. <laughs> oh, it's okay. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to play counterpoint here in this situation because <laughs> there's a little bit of discreditation that I'm not a fan of, especially not with JDS. That dude, uh, I have a lot of respect for him. I don't think he's ever going to win the title again, but... He's nowhere near done. I think he's got a fucking really good solid shot at this weekend. No, I think it's it's definitely going to be an interesting fight. Yeah, he's always got the JDS shot. 
Always. This is very true. This is very tr yeah. true. <laughs> I, think, I, I think this will be one of the... I think it's going to be a fun fight. What's really interesting for the fight for me is I think whoever wins this should get the next title shot. I really do. Because both of these two, well, no, not the next title shot, but right behind Francis and Ghana. Because uh, Francis and Ghana deserves the next one. And then right behind that should be one of these. <clears throat> at that point, that only makes sense. Because these two have both been on a fucking relatively decent tear. Yeah. Dos Santos had one setback to fucking the number one contender. And guess what? You get set back to the number one contender, that doesn't really lower your stock in I don't care. It's like losing to the champ. You lost to the best guy out there. It is what it is. I don't think I could say that the winner of this fight should get the next title shot. I think what would be a little more fair, in my opinion, would be the winner of this fight takes on Rosenstroke for the next title shot. Because people forget that dude has literally torn his way up the rankings and is calling out Francis Ngannou. Nobody does that. That's that's equivalent in the heavyweight division to Izzy calling out Yoel Romero. He's showing up and wants the biggest dude on the fucking yard right out the gate. He wants to prove a point. So Rosen I think you, you got to keep, big, keep the him. The biggest dude on the fucking yard yeah, right now. Yeah, I'm saying. I think you got to keep him in that conversation. Uh, the, the thing that makes me concerned about that is we thought the same thing about the Lewis fucking Ngannou fight, that it was going to be fucking fireworks him. I'm wondering if those two would get gun shy in there. However, after Ngannou being in that one with fucking Lewis, I'm pretty sure that thing has lost, left his mind of, you know what, fuck it. It's just got to get done. Throw it, yeah, you got to fucking throw it. I think at this point, I think that was his case of jitters. I think it was the bright lights got well, to him. He was in his own head. Jitters. I mean, you look at what both of them have done since that fight. Right, They've both yeah. done fucking amazing things in the division. Though. Absolutely, it's, yeah. To be honest... I really wish they would have a Lewis fucking goddamn Gano too. I would absolutely. Are, that's a fireworks show right there now, especially yeah. after they had that first standoff fucking stupidity. Well, and to their credit, that was a learning experience for both of them. They both came in, got gun shy for no fucking reason, and since then have gotten back on the right track for both of them. I think it would absolutely benefit a run back. And what the the worst part of that one for me was. They were both on their way up. They weren't at the top yet, but they had so much fire behind the both yeah. of them that when it kind of fizzled, you're like, what the fuck? Do these guys really belong here or not? Yeah. Now that we've seen what they've done afterwards, I'm going to do I'm not mad. I mean, we've watched each of them put people in the orbit, win in the yeah. last second of a fucking fight. <laughs> yeah. With yeah. a legitimate knockout, not a lucky elbow. Right. Oh, fucking cocksucker. Um, but, you know. <laughs> I'm still mad about that fucking fight, if you can't tell. <laughs> I don't think that one's ever going to go away. But, uh, that, that one's a legitimate good one to run back. Although, I would love to see Rosen Strike Fuck, let's put a Rosen Strike and fucking Lewis together. Yeah, no, that would be a good matchup as well. That's what I'm saying. As, as much as I agree that these two are both in the top of the heap right now, there's, there's still a lot of action going on in heavyweight right now. You know, the one thing that I question about Rosenstrike, though, he was getting worked by Alistair Overeem until he ends that fight. He was legitimately getting worked in a very solid way. He, thought, he wasn't doing a fuck ton of damage to him, but he was avoiding damage. And, right. I'm going, and Ganu's a lot better of a striker than 
fucking Alistair is at this point in his career. And that's not taking anything away from fucking Alistair. Alistair's right. still a fucking animal. That's what, I'm, that's what I was just going to say. On the same page as the, the fact that you have to still remember that that's still JDS. That's also still Alistair fucking Overeem, too. So yeah. he's got the striking pedigree that he should have been out striking him that much. Yeah, so I, I mean, it, it could... It could be that he just got the lucky strike and maybe he's not as good as we think he is. Right. But I don't, I, at the same time, he managed to hang there through that whole fight and he finally land it and blow that dude's face apart like he stuck a hand grenade in his fucking mouth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, it's something you absolutely have to keep in, in the back of your mind when you start talking about the heavyweight division as well. So I think there's a lot going on right now that we, we should have knock on fake wood we should have a decent 2020s worth of fights lined up if the first quarter's announcements so far are any indication it looks like they're putting together some pretty good matchups and it looks like a lot of the divisions are really starting to shake up to where it's going to be great for the fans and for the fights themselves but that is all we've got for this particular episode of the i'm no joe show so first and foremost I would like to thank everybody who is watching this, who is listening to this, whether you are here with us live, whether you are catching this on a replay, whether you are listening to this in just the audio version. Either way, thank you guys for supporting this show. Like I said, we hit some decent milestones this week, and we are only going up from here. We have got a ton in the pipeline waiting to show you fine folks what we have got up our sleeves. But the important part here, if we entertained you, if we made you laugh, if we gave you something to think about, if we brought you a point of view you didn't have before the show started, I ask you give us a thumbs up, subscribe if it tickles your fancy, share an episode if we really gave you something to cook around your noodle. But on the other side of that coin, if we just seem like a couple of dipshits talking into our cameras without knowing what the fuck we've actually got going on, give us a thumbs down, and I won't dispute it because we earned it. But before we get out of here, I want to take a moment. I want to thank these fine folks who have come here to talk some shit with me and give me different points of view that I don't always look to see. So if for some reason folks are not as fresh as they could possibly fucking be, how can they go about getting in touch with you after this show, fine sir? Uh, we'll be live tomorrow on my channel, uh, youtube.com slash fresh03. We'll be doing some tasty mixing, uh, hanging out, talking some shit. So... Same as always. And then uh, Saturday, we're doing uh, Pokemon gener- Poke- Poke Mixing Generation 2. Oh, so, shit. That's going to be fun. That's nice. going to be fun on Saturday. But I'm live. I'm live all the time. I'm on everybody's channels. It's, I'm around. I'm around. I'm easy to find. <laughs> well, thank you for your time here, sir. I definitely appreciate My it. My pleasure. My pleasure. And now, somehow, I don't know how this could possibly happen, but somehow... If someone has managed to make it this deep in and doesn't understand why Green Bay was still able to come that close, but they need an ear bashing to just set their day off, how would they go about getting a hold of the golf he vapes himself? Before I tell them how I want to get a hold of myself, there's something that's been burning inside of me since the beginning of the show that I haven't had a chance to let out, so I need to let this out right now. By all means. And I'm hoping this person somehow manages to catch this through the pipe somehow. Kevin Lee, shut your fucking mouth. You're talking way above your pay grade. Just because you switch camps in one one fight doesn't make you God's gift to fucking the UFC. 
shut the fuck up and earn your right to talk shit about those people above you. To include Cowboy, fucking Connor, and everyone else that you decided to open your raggedy ass mouth about. In fact, you know what? How about you open your raggedy ass mouth to somebody like Jorge so he can feed you a three-piece in the toilet, the whole buffet. Teach you that it's super necessary to shut the fuck up. All right, now that that's out of the way and I feel better um, because I was sick of hearing that nonsensicalness replayed over and over and over this week, please can catch me Wednesday nights right somewhere here on the YouTube, the Golf Tea Vapes, 9.30 Central Time. Uh, you can also find me on the Instagrizzles. Shoot me a message. I will gladly go back and forth with you. Kevin Lee, if you don't like what I have to say, fuck off. I don't give a goddamn. Damn. It's a blast. Glad I got that off my chest. I feel better now. It's, you know, some people talking above their pay grade really bothers the fuck out of me. Understandable. Understandable. So, thank you, sir, for donating your time to this hell of a shit show that we run around here. I appreciate your input, as always. So, folks, that is all we have got for this fine evening. Um, again, I do want to take a moment to let people know if you are watching this on YouTube, you also have the option to catch the audio-only version of this. Anchor.fm slash I'm No Joe. I make a point to upload the show in audio form Friday morning, first thing after a Thursday night I'm No Joe show, so you can catch this immediately in audio form for your ride to work tomorrow if you want. The opposite side of the house, if you have only heard this in audio form because I have been trying to push the hell out of the audio version. We do this in video form live most Thursday nights at 9.30 p.m. Central-ish on YouTube. Feel free to come look at the ugly mugs you've been listening to talk or stop looking at these ugly mugs you've been watching, however the case may fall for you. Either way, I appreciate everybody that has helped us get here, and I can't wait to show you what we've got going next. But that's it for tonight. So remember, folks, don't let ignorance stop you. You can root for anything. And Epstein didn't kill himself. Don't be foolish. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little bit frightening. But they fought with expert timing. Chinamen from funky Chinatown. They were chopping them up. They were chopping them down. It's an ancient Chinese art, and everybody knew their part. From a fainting to a slip, and a kicking from the hip. Everybody was kung fu fighting. How do I say goodbye to what we have? The good time.